Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. And what a weekend of rugby. Semi-finals in the Gallagher Premiership. Bledisloe Cup in down south. Is that part of a bigger competition? Rugby Championship, isn't it? They are doing that, are they? Or not? I, I, think, this no. just, I think this is just Bledisloe. Bledisloe 1 of 4. Yeah, just Bledisloe. Yeah, yeah. Bledisloe and and uh, well and Pro 14 rumbles on as well. We've got so much to talk about. That's why we're in the rugby dungeon with you. There's JB in his Sail Sharks vest. Hello, Tim. How are you? Very well, thank you. And uh, there's Phil. Hello, Tim. It, that, it, that is a neutrals Sail Shark vest, isn't it? It's I'm... just it's literally just the closest vest that I had to hand. <laughs> so I, I threw it on. It gets rather gets rather heated in the rugby dungeon occasionally. It does. So I thought I'd wear a vest. Uh, so we are at Rugby Podcast on Twitter. Um, you can we we're gonna we're gonna start uh, broadcasting um, on various places you can broadcast YouTube, Facebook, the like. So uh just just get following us there and yeah. watch this space. You just need to work out how to do it on camera so it looks like we're no, so it's, apart. Well no, it's, because we are work out the logistics. The logistics yeah. because, the logistics, because we're apart, JD. fitting us all in the shot is a challenge. It's very challenging because we we are Yeah, yeah, because we're sens- so far apart, that's what I meant. Yeah. Sensibly so socially apart. distanced, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Precisely. Yeah. So uh yeah, so loads of rugby to talk about. Um uh, the, how's the rugby going now? I don't know because we're about to have a situation where. It's a very broad question. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. How is the rugby how's going? The rugby... <laughs> you sound like rugby's... the rugby's going okay. Yeah, you're still doing the uh, the uh, uh, radio show, the, the radio rugby thing. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking we're we're on the cusp of. By the time you listen to the podcast, maybe there will have been changes to how our daily lives, particularly where we are in Manchester. Oh, yeah. But the... Is there any anticipation that that's going to affect rugby well, on the community level? So I was in Wales this weekend, obviously, going back and forth to the... Just spr- you know, just being a super spreader, taking it yeah. from Manchester to Wales. K- yeah, killing grannies and all the rest of it, no. Uh, I was working in the Beardmore, Beardmore and Co. offices, and every uh, Friday uh, after work, uh, me, Beardmore, Beardmore and Beardmore, so there's obviously four, four of us there, <laughs> go out for a beer. And the, and the WRU have cancelled all training. So I know this because uh, a guy who I used to play rugby with... Works at works at the bar 
that we go to. And I wanted to go training on Wednesday because I happened to be in the area then. And yeah, the WRU have said no, no more training. So up in Manchester, Didsbury Talk H is still training. Preston are still training. You know, every, everyone of note is still trying. I mean, that's the thing. All these clubs, it feels to me, are really struggling to maintain a sense of normalcy knowing that probably around the corner is going to be some restrictions. And and it's also, so the restrictions come in is one thing, but it's also, like, if you're training without a specific purpose in yeah, mind, totally. it is very difficult, whether you're training as a team or whether you're yeah. training as an individual, but if you have got a competition or a half marathon or a 10K or anything else... Um, <laughs> Was that a knock Sorry on the door? I thought, I thought it was a knock on, there was a knock somewhere. Sorry, Phil, I didn't mean to ruin your flow. I, I, was, no, I was listening intently, go on. But it, it probably does just change the um, dynamic of train, training a little bit and change the yeah. focus a I, little bit because there, there is a possibility it could things could start more normally after Christmas. I think that is very yeah, unlikely based on the, the, the manoeuvres that have happened so far. Talking to people around the game, my impression is now that... We are getting to a stage where all the excitement has drained out. Like, so we thought it was going to be a, a November start. All of the... Because we haven't been playing really since uh, March. So, yeah, not, not at all, yeah, really, so, other than the occasional game of touch. Yeah, it's, it's touch. so all the excitement was you know, building. We started playing a bit of contact. And now that is starting to drain away. And this is the dangerous part now because the Knights are going to draw in. That it's not going to be going out. You know, these are really. If you're part of a rugby team, the real grinding parts are not showing up on a Saturday, and they're not coming to preseason in summer. That as the Knights draw draw in, the grind of a Tuesday night and uh, basically some candlesticks rolling around in mud, not being very productive. When it's pouring yeah. down with rain and it's freezing cold. Exactly. That's when you're going to lose your players. Are you going to do that if you if you've not got a game on the weekend? If you're not going to. You know, go and go and compete. I doubt you are. And this is when we're going to face some real difficulties. Yeah, that is tough. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I would consider entering the, the rugby club into a lower level football league because at least you can play something. Yeah, I, I th- you will. We've said it before, but you will get people in the summer. You will have seen people go and play cricket or tennis, and in, yeah. in winter, you will see people go and play football because you can actually have a game. Or yeah. as, at, at, when we are speaking right now, you can have a game of football. And I, I've, I've watched games of football take place near me over this weekend. Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, if you're in your 20s, uh, not sound too negative about it all, but if you're in your 20s, it doesn't last particularly long. You don't want to spend a whole winter not playing competitive sport. Go out there and do something else. Well, and, to- you know, come, come back when rugby's back on. Tomorrow morning, I'm going straight to decathlon because oh. I'm anticipating that when this news comes in, particularly about Manchester, like it's all right with Phil with his home gym, but uh, <laughs> it all got sold out double quick um, the, the last time round. And if if gyms are shut, which is thought to be part of the tier three restrictions, then yeah, uh, well, I, I'm, it- I'm getting straight there to get tooled up. Yeah, I mean- what, you're going to go on a shooting rampage? <laughs> <laughs> I was in Decathlon this weekend. They had some lovely uh, archery shits. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's what I was going for. <laughs> How many shotgun cartridges do you want? <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I've, I, I, was, I was quite fortunate over the last lockdown. I really assembled quite a lot of workout gear, and that's all at the rugby club now. So. Well, all you need are kettlebells, isn't it? Just... Kettlebells, brilliant. That's it. Kettlebells. Uh, barbell. Barbell. Yeah, that's what bench. I'm getting. A bar- barbell. Somewhere, somewhere to do chin-ups as well. Barbell, yeah. a barbell and a, um, a, a proper chin-up the, rack is the what I'm The gym getting. is the only place, really, where any kind of normalcy exists. So I watched, I put it on Twitter as well, I watched the Tottenham Hotspur All or Nothing documentary the other week. Mm. No, the other day. 
And it was like watching sci-fi, like legitimately like watching sci-fi. All these people milling around, drinking wine in corporate <laughs> before going into you know a huge stadium. I thought, God, we're so far away from that. And the gym is the only place that you can go with any type of normalcy or any stupid face masks. I mean, yeah, you've got to wipe down things and, and whatnot. But you should you should actually... have done that anyway. Yeah, if, yeah. If you're that, that, that's just getting <laughs> habits that should have been done yeah. in the first place. But no, but do you, do you know what was like that for me? Watching Bledisloe, watching New Zealand v Australia. It was it was weird. Yeah. How many people did they have in the stadium? It was full. Was so, it? I think it, it's yeah, like it, it, I have, 20, 20, 20, 20 or 30,000. Yeah, 25,000, something like that. It was... Because it is, a, is it the Cake Tin, wasn't it? The the Sky Stadium, as they said in yeah. comms. Uh, oh, Welling, right. Wellington, um, home of my beloved Canes. Um, but it was pretty full. Uh, there was a lot of people in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty full in the... Uh, New Zealand dressing room or the Australian dressing room afterwards when they all got together some lovely shots it was like it was like it was like going back in time yeah seeing all the crowds I, sh- I just realised they didn't social distance did they no they don't need to but how do they need social di- so what gets me is when they try and social distance on the bench and they, and they do yeah. I know right and they've got the mask on but they oh, just finished scrimmaging. there was one there was one um, set of two pictures I saw on on Twitter where it was it was a football team I can't remember which uh, to having their team photo taken all two metres apart and then, this, then the same players all hugging each other during a, <laughs> after a goal. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you notice a Wasps player broke some of the rules this week? Uh-oh. They're yeah. going to have a visit from PRL. Uh, what did they, they did something very naughty. It might have been Launchbury. He came off and sat on a... He sat on a subs chair with a big red cross on it for social distancing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, nearly no. t- I nearly took a picture and reported it. I thought, oh, no, dear. I'll do it to the wider audience on the podcast. <laughs> well, OK, well, we've just mentioned two games. Which of those would you like to speak of first? What? Well, sh- shall, shall, we, shall we, just before we go into the detail of the game, just play back why we are, where we had specifically these games and not... Good call, Phil. Yeah. An alternative potential. Good call, Phil, because we talked at length about the outbreak of positive cases at Sale Sharks and we did all call it right and say we don't think the game will happen yeah Um, and it really didn't happen and it really didn't happen there was an element for me of PRL maybe being a little bit antagonistic by announcing the games on the Saturday knowing full well that this was not going to happen well it was BT Sport announced the the, the fixtures and also with, with the but they did announce it with all Potential permutations, yeah. uh, and there was some. There was some. There were some Sale Sharks fans and some neutrals hinting that the games were both on a Saturday to try and pressurise Sale into forfeiting the game because they wouldn't play. But I, I can say because we have well, a Champions Cup final and a yeah, Challenge Cup final, that well. that's the reason but, the games you know, are on a Saturday. Let's be honest about it. If Sale were playing everything in their hand to pressure PRL, PRL should play everything in their hand to pressure Sale. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, it is a contentious situation. I don't blame either side for yeah. playing. Every, you know, every card in their armory but as it is um, at last count and it may well be more by the I mean uh, we, well it may be more but we won't know because I assume there's going to be no further round of testing oh, correct. for sale but. correct but at last count there was 27 positive cases plus the ones at Northampton and whatever that leads to um, which has led to uh, Piers Francis and Lewis Ludlam not making it to the England training camp yeah, yeah. So um, as I understand it, no one is symptomatic. You don't need to be symptomatic to spread it. No. Yeah. Um, actually, there might have been one guy at sale that was symptomatic. But anyway, doesn't really matter. Um, 
27 cases is, and plus the ones at Northampton. That's quite a lot. It is, but as I went back to before, it's like the face mask argument. It's like any argument with this thing, which is you can't rely on the on the rules in you know, in society in general to prevent this thing. It will prevent. Unless everyone is locked up in... Sorry, it will spread. Unless you're locked up in your house, the things can help. But I, I, I guarantee you, right, if it's 20, 27 individuals, there will be something blatantly obvious which has gone wrong. But it, they can still follow the rules and it can still go wrong. Yes, but I do think that element of trying to understand what happened, whether it was yeah, got, a, whether yeah. it was accidental, whether it was negligence, whatever, I, it's less about going, you're out of order sale or, or whatever, but it's more going back to what we've just talked about, the community game returning. Yeah, if, can we if with this? all of the testing and with all of the, the rules and all of the, the resources at a professional club, if they follow the rules and can't do it, We've got no oh, chance completely. of getting rugby back. We have made a rod for our own back. Yeah, here. big time. Yeah. So, like, in, in, in a funny way, the best thing that could happen, in a funny way, and I don't mean this disrespectfully if you're a Sale fan or or, or a neutral, um, the best thing that will happen is we find out that there was some mismanagement on Sale's part because at least then it explains it and you can say, well, that that's only happened because well, of this. Was, or they followed, there was a part of the protocols that thought would prevent this kind of thing that they that Sale adhered to. And it actually hasn't prevented it, and therefore changes can How be about made. This? made. Uh, young, healthy men just play with or without coronavirus. <laughs> How's that one for you? Maybe, maybe that is the answer. I mean, and may, maybe if you then go and work in a care home or yeah. somewhere else, or you, you're on the deli counter at Sainsbury's, maybe you can't do it for a little while. You say, well, yes, you yeah. say that. You say that, but there are, uh, let's say, a Northampton player who had uh, now can't see their parents, and they would. You can or understand. Can't you, take up take up their shift on the deli counter. Take, or yeah, <laughs> or can't go and pick, way, pick up their twenty five grand playing or twenty grand now playing for England, whatever it is. But uh, it's it's it's, it's, it's difficult, it's, isn't it? It's difficult. It I, is a really difficult you, thing. You know, if you're a professional rugby player, you don't really get the option to have a private life as well. I'm afraid to say because you are playing a game, you're playing a sport, you need to be there on time, the show must go on, so on and so forth. Um, sad, sad fact of life, your work, work comes first. If you don't want to get paid for it, you don't have, you don't have to show up, would yeah. be my thing. Um, with a community game, it's a bit more difficult, but if you don't want to play, if you think you're going to put someone at risk, I mean, you know, I live with a doctor, so I guess we're always at risk. It doesn't bother, if someone told me, I've got coronavirus, do you want to play a game of rugby against me right now? I'd say, what, right now? Yeah, <laughs> uh, the only question would be like logistics of where it is. How do I drive there? Oh, and, I'll, and all my studs tight. That that would be it. <laughs> but there is there is something in all of this which, um, like rugby players, professional rugby players within their contracts have um, conditions around being fit and healthy, not drinking, not smoke, or not drinking to excess, not smoking, yeah. not going bungee jumping, not skiing. riding a motorbike. The, the, list of th- the list of things my brother did when he retired. <laughs> he yeah, went, yeah, he yeah. went straight to ski. Yeah. I've always wanted to ski. I've never been allowed. Is yeah. he a skier? Huh? He doesn't seem to have the body type for, to, to be a top skier. Yeah, but he, he, did, he didn't have the body type to be a professional rugby player. <laughs> <laughs> and he was pretty good. Yeah, yeah he, he was. was. Good. A deceptive engine on him. A very yeah. deceptive engine. Um, uh, about the contracts? Yeah, no, it's just... Um, I don't know that there's something in that that um, you have to do things that uh, mean that you are in condition to play rugby 
and it it does mean as a professional rugby player you can't go out taking any risks mm-hmm. out in the community and I'm 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 not I'm not for a minute suggesting that's what the play, sale players have done because I've heard from an independent source that they have not done anything at all I, I've as, heard, as per what Steve yeah. Diamond said to Hugo Monia I have asked Sport. absolutely everyone and a lot of people have asked me have these boys gone out? Were they boozing in the studio? I was like, we would know. We would actually, we would know pretty quickly. I, I, I've not heard a single thing no. to, to support that accusation. So we'll wait and see what comes out of that. But for the benefit of everybody at rugby at all levels, this is an important case that we need to understand what has happened. Yeah, and, and just on that point, so I was thinking before um, about, obviously, that, that cemented sales um, failure to get into the top flo- top four, which you can blame if you're a sale fan or a neutral. You can blame that individual point, or you can look across the eight other losses yeah. that they had this season when they travel away to Quinns or home to Bath uh, late on. Yes, when they, uh, the things that could have guaranteed. So I, I was thinking about that, and then I was thinking maybe this is a good time to kind of reflect on the season because everyone's position is known apart from the top two. Yep. And how disappointing or, or positive this season would be, and I think Sale will be tremendously disappointed yeah. not to get the top four again because they we all said it last season that they with the squad that they've got they should have got into the top four. This season they really they've got such a good squad and the the it will be so disappointing for mm. the squad and Sale fans not to achieve it this year. So, Agreed. Uh, I had this exact conversation with uh, a mutual friend of ours. And it was exactly that, which is, if you told me that Sale were going to miss out on the top four because of one game against Worcester, well, it's not really about the game against Worcester, is it? It's about, you know, everything else. And that's the same point I made about all the other teams in that top four scramble. Don't leave it to chance. Don't play yeah, a second team. Yeah. You know, go and pick up every point you possibly can. And if for one reason that you, you, you know, one bonus point for sale would have made the difference. Well, on the flip yeah. side of that, to just the flip side of that particular coin is that. Um, sorry, I'm just. I think it's myself. I t- I thought I was turning Phil up and I, turning me up. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, the flip side of that coin is. Bristol got there on merit regardless of what did or didn't happen. Yep. And there were a lot of people, um, you know, we, between us, questioned Bristol's approach and are they prioritising the wrong thing? And fair play, they got to the top four. However, when they got there, in fact, that, that was the kind of surprising and a little bit disappointing of the weekend's rugby in general is just how one-sided these games were, the semi-finals. Well, I could definitely see the Exeter game getting one-sided because it's Exeter. I could see did that. Did you see it that one-sided, though? Bath only no. scoring six points. I, I couldn't... I, I never would have imagined it being like that. Sorry, I didn't expect it to be like that, but I could definitely imagine it getting like that. That It doesn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, that, that result is disappointing yeah. because I know how much talent is in that Bath squad, but it's still not surprising mm. to me. Yeah, now, that's I, fair. I definitely saw a beatdown coming in the Wasps-Bristol game, but I expected Bristol to do the beating. <laughs> well, this game was interesting because if you take... The Gopeth penalties out early on, which built the Wasps' lead. Yeah. And if you take that 10, 12-minute period from about 55 to 68 minutes, if you take those two things out of the game, these were two evenly matched teams. Yeah. And the only reason that Wasps went in with a comfortable lead at half-time... Well, there's two reasons. One, um, Wasps, Jimmy Gopeth kicking penalties... And two, Bristol failing to execute. Both in that first half, they had kickable penalties that they chose to go for the corner and then failed to get returns when they went to the corner. Yeah. And that's 
that's the thing for Bristol. They they didn't build the score, um, and they didn't. They found themselves far enough behind um, in the game to think they had to kick to the corner when actually there was still fifty minutes left on the clock, and they should have taken kickable penalties. Finals rugby, totally. Yeah, yeah. So I have a few problems with this game. Uh, well, namely, and I know you're, you're going to disagree, but it just wasn't very intense. Now, I don't mean that as a negative. I mean, in a way that I think Wasps have worked out a way to play this game to neutralise what I think Premiership rugby normally is, which is, uh, you know, think about the um, Bath Extra is a great example. It's a brutal meat grinder of a game where, where people smash up and smash up and smash up. And that's kind of how the two teams... Did you not think that's what it was? No, I think that Wasps are like... They're like some sort of svelte fighter no. who punches and then moves, and you can never, you can never quite pin them down. Especially, I mean, their defence. Oh is, no, that, that's 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 yeah, normal gonna, Premiership hardcore defence. Yeah, I was going to say the yeah. uh, the the brutal physicality yeah. was from Wasps, and uh, but I, in in defence, in defence. This is this is exactly. my this is why I, I think Wasps are such a good team. Is that Wasps team is built for turnovers, and, well, and, and, it, right? and I mean that in two regards. Yeah, I mean that both the selection of their outside backs and the speed of their outside back, and inside backs, um, Dan Robson being one particularly, but also that back row, and that back row physically in defence and the physicality over the ball, it allows them to force turnovers, and then that's when they're at the most dangerous. But quite often, it's not, and quite often they're the ones coming in. I mean, Thomas Young and Jack Willis and Brad Shields put in massive hits. I'm not taking that away from them. But quite often, they were coming in and affecting the turnover. Yeah, yeah. They, resor- uh, they adequately af- resourced the rook after, to affect the turnover. After Kieran Brooks, Tommy... T- oh, my... Tommy Taylor tackling. You're a big fan of him. <laughs> you, you go back and watch that. He just... Every time Nathan Hughes had the ball... What, Kieran Brooks Tom- tackling? Tommy Taylor. Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, amazing. Tommy Taylor just... Dived at Nathan Hughes's shins. Yeah, they knew yeah. what they were doing. Absolutely nailed him. So I think we need to go back a step here. Do you remember? It was you actually, Tim, who told us about Jack Knoll saying something along the lines about Saracen's defence, which is you go after him for six, six, yeah. six phases, and then cracks start to appear. If they don't, if they don't score within six phases, then it becomes easy to defend. Yeah. Oh, was it the other way round? It was. It was that. I think. In. In. I think with. Saracens, that's how it tended to be, that actually what they tended to do was score within six phases. And if you can contain them, then it becomes Ah, easier. Saracens are famous for, often in big games, not wanting the ball. Saracens want to defend. They will happily defend for 20 phases because they know if you've attacked their line 20 20 times and failed, the second they get the ball, they are going to score. Correct. Well, Wasps are not necessarily spending quite as much as Saracens did back in the day. I mean, you know, <laughs> touch and go whether they are. But my theory on this is that what they're doing on the breakdown allows them to deploy a lot more energy for line speed later on. So you can be nice and aggressive and work incredibly hard if Jack Willis or Youngs takes every seventh ball. Or whatever it may. I mean, it's mostly Willis. Let's, let's be honest. Because then you have, you know, you have the penalty. You have a breather. You can walk over to your line out. You you can attack. But when it's time to defend, you know that you'll be defending for what six phases or something. And then if you can stop that, then you re- then you then you're good to go. Again. Yeah, and Jack Willis is incredible. But him and Thomas Young being able to jackal the way they do is because they're 
phenomenal specimens, uh, number one, but more so that that is also a consequence of the defence because Ben Earl got had none of it. I didn't even see him yeah. exactly, and it's not like you put you put Ben Earl in the Wasps team. He's all over that ball. Yeah, but again, I, it's kind of chicken and the egg, isn't it? What? Why is it that they're able to turn over the ball? Well, it might be because of, because of the defence, but in my mind, it's because of the continual turnovers. They're able to deploy so much energy mm. in, in defence because they're not working so hard, getting back and forth. And I, I will say one thing that um, in this game in particular um, gave Wasps the opportunity to go for those turnovers. Yeah. And it was Bristol's failure to identify the risk of men going in ones and twos. And they did it. And if you're a Bristol fan, you might have um, some complaint at some of the refereeing decisions, which is something we might talk about in a second. But you've got to you've got to focus your energy on the fact that you were that those Bristol players were letting Nathan Hughes or Ben Earl or whoever it was, Semi Radrada or um, Siali Piatau go in on their own, get isolated, and then it was Young or Willis yeah. or Shields or Launchbury or Tommy Taylor on top of the ball. And it's it, as much... Bristol, I, I feel, in this game, was much to blame uh, as Wasps were successful well, did, in that regard. And, and I, I cannot see Exeter making that same mistake in two weeks' time. Yeah, it's a funny psychological game that Wasps can, Wasps can play because... First of all, they didn't really get beaten too many times on the game line early doors, which is difficult then because they're not turning the fence and all the things things which come come with that. In their attacking phases, their ability to kick the ball tactically uh, must be an absolute nightmare because you're all G'd up, you're ready to go and smash something, and before you know it, the ball is over your head and bouncing somewhere, and you're going, oh, bloody hell, right, I've got to turn around <laughs> now, all my line speed is wasted. Here I go, yeah. Trot back, but then, you know, Kipper Riggie's running onto it, or there's bloody Fekatoa hunting it down, or, yeah, yeah it's just a nightmare. Here's Fekitoa. a stat from, from, our, uh, from the BT Sports stats man. Oh. That was the lowest gain line success at Bristol have had all season. Yeah, I'm surprised. Interesting. So, yeah, I was, I did admire that. Apart from the last 10 minutes when it, the game was already over, but that Wasp defence was, it was it immense. really impressive. It was immense. Maybe even the most impressive thing about their input. Yeah, their performance. I, I totally agree. And f- from inside the Wasps camp, one of the biggest things that seems to have contributed to that is Pete Atkinson, who, and I think I mentioned him a couple of months ago when I was talking about Wasp resurgence and that I'd heard, they were saying how good the fitness guy has been. Mm. And being there at the Rico and watching that defensive effort, guys like Kieran Brooks... He's a, he makes a tackle. He's on his feet and in the line quicker than oh my! It's unreal how quick they are. And then I, then I was on the train home watching the Exeter game, and I just seen exactly the same thing from Exeter. Yeah. Those yeah. two teams are on their feet and in the line and ready to go again so quicker than any other team. Here's the question for me, and I'm jumping the gun a bit on the subject, but nevertheless, will Wasps be able to play like Wasps? If Exeter carry the ball into, into their back row and they lie on them after, you know, after contact, I mean that's the, the oldest trick in the book. Uh, but they're going to suck them in. They're going to play phase after phase after phase. That energy is going to go. It's going to be harder. To, I mean, Baxter said it. Didn't see Baxter actually said it. How do you wear down a team? Is it running? No, it's getting the big men up, up and down off the down, floor. Up, down, up. So yeah, you, you can get up up and down. When Baxter Jack has an eighty-minute mentality, doesn't he? He's yeah. like, he wants to tie you out over. He's like uh, he's planning for twelve rounds all the time. Yeah. Actually, the knockout punch comes in about round seven or eight normally for for Exeter in that in that sort of as you approach the three quarter mark. 
I think Bristol massively underestimated the fact that they just could not pin down Wasps for long enough to beat them up. And that's what that Wasps defence is about. It it's such about... a complete performance. Wasps' scrum is so much better. Yeah, the scrum is amazing. Their line-out yeah, is the reliable. Is so their defence is brilliant. Their, Gabriel... their driving mall was getting massive success. This is an all-round team. Gabriel Ogre is a cool player. Yeah. They're, I mean, I love him. Absolutely depth love him. at hooker because they had Ogre and Alfie Barbieri <laughs> whoa, on, whoa, whoa. on the bench. Yeah. Stop, stop. Rewind six months and you go, the weakness at hooker. Tommy Taylor goes down and they've only got this Ogre well, fella. Well, or, Tom Cruise. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. The guy from, the guy from Stockport, the, or, or the two back rows that can sort of play-ish. And, yeah, this is never going to work. And Tommy Taylor, who's been injured for years, it seems. Yeah, this is a disaster. Now they've got, they've probably got the squad. I hope actually they, not even yeah, probably. Yeah. I'd, I'd say they have got the strongest hooking option in the league. Yeah, hooking I mean, options because they've got four of them. Yeah. I mean, I hope they never have to play all four at once. <laughs> it wouldn't matter. It would not matter. <laughs> Three in the back row. Oh, no, like two a, in the back row. Barbieri can play twelve. They're, they're like Leicester um, a few years ago when they had all their hookers. Only Leicester decided to keep all the old expensive all, ones all the rubbish ones <laughs> <laughs> not, not rubbish but yeah well all the old expensive all ones all the ones which came bottom of the league this year all yes. those ones it's, and it's, the second bottom of the, of the, in the league last year yeah it but, is an inc- to win in a semi-final where, as you say when we were anticipating that being nip and tuck and Bristol having every chance to win to absolutely hammer them yeah I still have a feeling there's a big a big loss coming Wasps way sadly I just think that they're not playing They've, they've like reinvented the game to what they want it to be and as soon as someone can reinvent it back into what the opposition wants it to be they can be, they're going to get into trouble I, I think Exeter so one, one crucial difference between Bristol and Exeter is Bristol do rely on top end talent yeah. and, and boy they've got some top end talent Nathan Hughes Ben Earl Radrada I know um, uh, Sir Charles Piatow was not playing, but Max Mayling is not a bad player. Morahan is sensationally talented. They're, they're a really talented team, and I think that's what led Bristol into those ones and twos and getting isolated and turned over as before. Exeter have huge talent, but they are so much more than the sum of their parts. Yeah. That I, I just can't see Exeter making those same mistakes. The bit that will be um, the problem for Exeter is the fact that they've got three back-to-back-to-back super important games Uh, and their injuries started to tell in this game a little bit Ollie Woodburn we're waiting to see what happened with him Joe Simmons as well Joe Simmons although he did do the interview afterwards and didn't seem too uncomfortable so you're hoping he comes through with that one and obviously Jack Knoll wasn't available yeah so yeah you're right the three games back-to-back is that's interesting it is some final but the, the Wasp story is remarkable and you were saying you don't think they can, when a team comes up with something different, they can't match it. I would take you back, and I know it's not Exeter. It isn't Exeter. Uh, but I mentioned it last week, that, that game at the wreck, yeah. when Wasps just somehow dogged it out. Yeah, they found a way to win. They found a way to win. Now, I mentioned it before in this game about the um, the Bristol failings and um, what some fans might suggest uh, was... Um, some refereeing failings. What? Particularly, and the, the most obvious, there was a few around the breakdown, which were arguable. There's a few around the scrum. And then uh, probably the most visible and obvious one was the uh, Dan Robson try. Yeah, well, I'm not really qualified to talk about this. I, I don't have, a, ha- have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think the one good thing about this is it... I mean, I have seen Bristol fans saying that 
you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, if that wasn't given, maybe this, that, and the other. I don't think anyone would realistically argue that the result hinged on that decision. But nevertheless, you know, it, it, you're talking about the one where Dan Robson took the quick tap penalty. Quick tap, yeah. Was he in front of the ref or was he behind the ref? Does it matter if he's in front of the ref or behind the ref? I, I was having a little... Um, uh, I was just pinging a few um, texts back and forth with JP Doyle. Oh, right. Um, the other day. Named on Clang. As you were saying that, I thought, well, let's... Hold on, let me hit pause on the podcast a second and... Um, there we go, we're back. I've just, we've just like, yeah, on, Phil just brought up the refereeing decision for Matthew Carley on that Dan Robson try, quick tap penalty. Was he chatting to the Bristol Pack or not? Got JP Doyle on the line. JP, how you doing? Hey, how you doing, guys? Are you well? Very well, thanks, JP. Now, JP, before we get going, I know you're a big fan, big, big, big fan of the podcast. Um, probably important that you settle. I am. Out. I am. Avid listener. <laughs> probably um, important that you settle a quick, quick argument. Who is your favourite egg chaser? <laughs> Um, well, you see, I, I've obviously had a lot of work dealings with Tim for a long time, and I've had a lot of beers with you, JB, in in, uh, in Philadelphia that time with that game, the Premiership game out there. Absolutely. But Phil seems the most normal bloke of you all. <laughs> just seems someone who's got life life outside rugby. So it's a tough choice. But you know, if I was to, uh, which guy would I spend the most time with? The guy outside of rugby and the guy who knows this stuff. So I'm going to go with Phil. Yeah. <laughs> it's all a facade. It's all <laughs> absolute facade. Thank, thank uh, you, JP. Uh, anyway, on that sour note, let's uh, let's get going. Yeah, JP, we wanted to give you a, a call uh, because uh, we yeah. were just we were just debating the, the the Dan Robson try in the Wasfy Bristol game when some fans and uh, there was quite a lot of Bristol fans feel felt a little bit embittered that uh, the, the try was allowed to have stood because Matt Carley was explaining his decision at the scrum. Dan Robson went and played and he, he let it go. How did how do you see that one? Yeah, it, it, it's it's a brilliant one. It's a real great one, isn't it? Um, and it gives fans a choice of how they want to see it, really. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of reverse the script on you guys. What do you guys think? And then maybe I can fill in with where the law stands and Ooh, what was like going it. on and some other little cues that you might have missed if you watched the footage again. So if I mm. kind of throw it to you for two seconds and see what you guys think. Love it, JP. Well, let's, let's go with your favourite egg chaser first. Go on, Phil. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm not so, sure... So you're the detail, you're the, you're the detail man. Well, the refereeing's I... about detail. So let's see, let's see where you get to on this. Yeah, it's, it's um, a very good one for detail. And I'm not sure... I have the specific details, but I know I've witnessed a hundred times in uh, elite level and lower level rugby that kind of uh, quick tap penalty be called back by a referee because the ball has not been played uh, within the referee's field of vision. But then I'm not sure if that's actually part of the rule or if that is uh, part of the law book or if that is just something that um, Mm. kind of informally takes place and referees... uh, either allow or prevent yeah, in order to yeah, make it a, yeah. a cleaner game. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, it is something we see regularly. But so, so you're so you're saying like crack on try scored Phil or what? Well, I'm I'm saying um, if I was to follow the precedents that I've seen a hundred times. No, 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 no. You're, yeah, you're just the yeah. referee on the day in that split second. What do you, you do? Back, well, you I I, I yeah. probably would have called it back. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm okay. going to say right. I'm with Phil. Because, uh, unsurprisingly, I've read none of the laws, but everything I learn is from experience. And experience always says the referee, pretty much, it's like, do you know when you have to look at the airport, you know, the aeroplane boarding, the safety sheets? Like, even though I know what's on those safety sheets, it's mandatory that I look again. 
So every pre-game chat with the referee is, if you want to do a quick tap, it's fine, but make sure it's in front of me and make sure it's in a, it's in a metre radius. That is always always the chat. Mm. That said, yep. I've always thought it, it's a peculiar thing that a team can't just go anyway. It's their advantage. It's their penalty. And I don't think that the opposition should get an advantage. So what are you saying then? So, so you would I'm let it... saying that my experience tells me that Matt Carley should not have let it go because it's always tap and go. But actually, when I stop back, stop and think about it, why should Bristol have an advantage to have it explained when they want to go and play? So you're rugby? doing the fill role, sitting on the fence. No. <laughs> so I'm, so, so, I, so I'm saying, if I gave Wasps and Bristol the pre-match talk, I'd have said, make sure it's in front of me, make sure it's a metre. And then when, when it actually happened, I go, no, actually, I've changed my mind, because globally, I think this, this principle is more important. So you let the try go? I'd let the try go. Uh, I would have award, I would have awarded the try for the point of view. I understand what Phil was saying, and and that's one thing that occurred to me as well. Matt Carley didn't see Dan Robson take it, but he could have gone and checked that if he had a concern mm-hmm. about it. But yeah. everything I understand about the way that officiating is attempted to be done is to give advantage and impetus to a team doing something positively. In that occasion, the offence was against Bristol. So as far as I'm concerned, it's the Bristol players' job to see Dan Robson get back 10. Yeah. And if they, if they if they're listening to a referee and not running back to the line, they you know that that's on them. So I want to I want to reward the positive play which is Dan Robson and his speed of thought. But I do understand what Phil's right. saying. Go on JP. Okay, so in the model of Ace Ventura, you know, he takes a deep breath to explain <laughs> at the end. This is sort of where we're going to go for and go for right. Okay. So, you have to go back a little bit. The reason why all the players were standing around the referee is the intricacy of the penalty. So um, Nathan Hughes came through the middle of the mall, did brilliantly well, um, split the mall. But because he split the mall and got on the ball tar- uh, carrier, they broke away. That became open field. He then made a tackle, which he thought was a, uh, a mall was collapsing because the ball, ball carrier voluntarily went to ground and he went with him, which was legal because now that was open play. He was then penalised for not rolling away when all the players involved thought it was still a mall and it should be a scrum turnover. That was uh. why there was confusion. The ball then spills out underneath, almost nutmegs the referee in a way, and goes directly to Dan Robson. Now, it happens to stay within a metre. It's not a metre radius because how can it be a metre radius? Because a radius is a circle and you can't be a metre in front which or half a meter in front, which the radius would allow you. So it's a meter semicircle, which isn't even true because you can go back fifty meters backwards and take the penalty if you want. Yes, you can. So as long as it's an approximate distance that doesn't disadvantage the opposition, the penalty should be allowed to go forward. In the detail, if you look at Luke Morahan's reaction, he immediately, when the whistle is blown, backs up to the goal line. When Dad Rob Dan Robson taps and goes, comes forward, but comes forward too quick. Dan Robson drops the right shoulder and beats him on the on the outside on the left and scores in the corner, dots it down. The AOR behind can check that the um, penalty penalty kick was tapped correctly, and he also checked the grounding. It was then double checked by the TMO to make sure everything was all right in law before it happened. Right, so there's your law. Yeah, perfect. And that... is, is that enough? Yeah. Well, there's more to it. Ah. Do you think... So, did McCarley engage the Bristol players to explain what had happened and therefore thus uh, make it more difficult for them to defend? Mm. Or did all the Bristol players start asking questions of him and that's their volition, so there's no reason why Walsh should be stopped from taking a quick free kick? 
and then or a quick penalty kick, and the try stands. I, I saw the it's how you want it's yeah. like like in everything in, in rugby. It's how you want to see it. If you want to see that, a tap and go, happy days. You and you infringed, but the infringement was such a small, unlucky infringement. It really was because Nathan Hughes did so brilliantly to get to the position he got to legally. When so many get it wrong and penalised, he did brilliantly. But because the ball carrier was loose, he let go of the ball on the ground after the whistle, so the ball trickled out to the side. To d- directly to Dan Robson, luckily or unluckily, depending on who you support or who you want to win, tap and go from the mark within a meter behind the mark. How can you, if you pull them back in law, what could you have said to him to say you can't go quickly? But also, you could have said, Look, I was engaged with all the players, it's not fair, it must give them the opportunity to defend. Yeah, so, so you have to decide what you believe mm. is the correct answer. It seems, it, it seems perfectly legitimate to let the guy score. And the referee even said in the first half, when Morahan scored in the corner, it was from uh, a quickly taken quick tap by Nathan on the Hughes, turnover by yeah. Nathan Hughes, yes. the same guy. Now, that was taken to the side and in front of McCarley, not behind him, but it was taken adjacent as well. The players didn't retreat 10 and they tackled him. McCarley signaled penalty advantage, which may or may not, if they hadn't have scored, may or may not have resulted in a yellow card for deliberately not back 10. So was it unlucky to score in the corner because they might have got a yellow card there? Yeah. Uh, Rugby's all about the detail. The detail, the detail, the so, detail. And mm, it's very difficult. I, You've almost got to... Refereeing is always about not making the right decision, but making the most understandable decision. Yeah, that's, if your grandmother's watching the game, is it fair that Wasp scored or is it unfair? And that's for the punters to decide. A, I love that. That is I a love that. great way to put it, isn't it? So I was going to say, I think that there's a stylistic problem here. I mean, it probably needs a directive of all things. But my theory is about Carly is a man of, in, of great detail, probably too much detail. And I think every decision he made, probably if you review it, certainly the contentious ones, they're probably right. But they're not necessarily the... A decision that a lot of other people would make. I'll give you an example: the Harry Thacker um, hooking the ball penalty. That would be one which probably is technically right. Well, the, the, the free kick. But was that a mistake by the referee, or was that um, overzealous application of the law? So Harry Thacker did strike. He was penalised for not striking. Yeah. Now, is a miss is a miss strike the equivalent of not striking, and therefore the referee is right? Or is a misstrike, an attempted strike, and it's just he was in a very difficult position, couldn't get his foot back up to get the ball back, well, and it should be a reset. I would say. Uh, so in, in we, my... if we reset that, if we reset that, you're criticised for resetting all the time. If you free kick a team on their own ball and it leads to a penalty two minutes later for the opposition, which it did, you're criticised again. Mm. So whichever way you stick or twist. Mm. Now, well, if I say to you that every decision is almost criticisable. You have to then say, well, what are you trying to do as a referee? You're just trying to make decisions where, as you said, well, I believe Matt Carley when he makes decisions around the breakdown. So therefore, he is doing a good job refereeing because his job is to monitor what's fair and unfair, not to referee every single law. So if you're believing that that's the type of referee he is, and I I watch this game, so therefore I believe this is how he's going to referee, well, that's fair for both teams. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with you on, um, you know, it, it's uh, um, how do you put it there? Uh, it's making the game un, um, uh, understandable, or or even getting into the debate: is he wrong or is he right? All that I care about is is it understandable? Um, sorry, is it Correct, sorry, yeah. is it defensible? 
And I'd say every de- decision that he made was probably defensible. If you review it, yeah, there's a toss-up. Could it be this? Could it be that? But ultimately, he's n- he's very rarely flat wrong. Now, I think the upshot of that is, particularly with the Dan Robson try, is there's so much detail. There. I mean, you've just run through, you know, was it a ruck? Was it a maul? Uh, even seasoned rugby watchers will go, bloody hell, actually, when you put it like that, I didn't realise it was so much detail. He does see it like that. Like a lot of referees, he sees a lot of the detail. And therefore, I think it does need a bit of a directive because you've got the players who aren't entirely sure. So I think the directive needs to come out, which says, yeah, you, you may ask the referee. The referee may talk to you. That said, if the attacking team wants to go, that overrides everything else. And that would be the directive. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I, th- I think that... But the directive, the directive is to answer that. Like, yeah. The directive is really simple. The captain at the right moment, the, the rule is, because the, the, it's not a law, the rule of the game, the rule of the competition, the laws of the game, the rules of the competition, the rules of the competition say the captain at the right moment can come up and ask the referee uh, for clarification on the decision so he can tell his team or yeah. the referee can go to the captain to get a change. A penalty is not a dead ball situation. Mm, the yeah. ball is not out of play. So when you're playing under eights, under tens, or you're coaching under eights, under tens, when the whistle go, you say, turn around face, back ten, turn around face, be ready, lads. Yeah. Why is it any different from under eight to professional rugby? The ball is not dead. Yes. The ball is alive. Completely agree with I love that. So you, when, you, when you kick the ball into touch, you stay, stay alive until the referee says it's a line until the ball is called dead. And then, by sure, go up and have a talk to the ref, ask him, you know, did he have a nice bottle of wine last night? But there's no <laughs> point getting into it while the ball is still alive. Yeah, I completely agree with that. that I think that is... I, feel, I think you've put that brilliantly. And uh, amazingly, you went through some really, really intricate detail and the bit I love most out of all of that was, what would your grandma say? I, I, I think that's a great way of putting it because, um, yeah, there are rugby has so many different contexts. It's constantly changing, and I think that's the the simplest way to think about it. Um, I, I it did make me think. Do you do you miss or has it been refreshing not to be the centre of a little Twitter storm after a, after a debatable decision, JP? Um. Yeah, it's very difficult because I was in. We were in lockdown for so long, so it kind of got away from rugby. So it's not like, even though it was mid-season that I got maybe redundant, it was kind of I'd been out of the game for four or five months anyway. So I feel very detached from watching rugby in stadiums that are empty. To you know, the last game I did, which I think was Saracens Leicester, and they're really knocking ten hails of, of hay out of each other. Um, so. Do I miss it? Yes, and I do, and I don't. I haven't had the opportunity to miss it yet. Mm. But rugby's been my life for so long mm. since I'm eight years old that I'm sure it will. But at the same time, I'm kind of a fan watching as well. I'm still like I'm still as much of a rugby loser ever was. I was sitting down watching Glasgow versus the Scarlets this afternoon. You know, the season Goodness after me. I watched the golf <laughs> and before I watched the NFL. So <laughs> there's, there's like you know, as Jamie says, you know, I'll I'll, I'll know who the second string Benetton tight head is. You know, when they go up against uh, the Dragons next Thursday night or Friday night, like that's the sort of detail we live in because that's the rugby people we are. And we're, we're rugby pigs and I'm OK with that. Uh, tell, tell me this, JP. Um, I mean, I, I don't mind saying this for all three of us, really, but we we miss your presence on, um, on the rugby field quite a lot, actually. Uh, was anything signalled to you prior to your redundancy at the RFU, or was it complete? Was it as much of a surprise to you as it was to us? Um, 
Well, we knew somebody. We knew somebody. One or two or three people were going from our department because we knew it was a, a, a company-wide decision. So we knew this was happening, and you always think it could happen to you, but you know, it's it's kind of a weird um, death man's alley. You know you, that you're all put on notice that your your jobs are up for peril, and then you find out how many are going, and then it's narrowed down and narrowed down, and you keep thinking, God. <laughs> hope it's you know you're talking to your mates you're talking to the other referees you're going well i hope it's not you but at the same time you're thinking geez well i hope it's you before me because yeah. that's, that's life isn't it you know you want to keep your own job but at the same time you're not wishing any ill on anyone else um and then it came down it was me and i was like oh awesome that's that's really great news cheers for that yeah thanks and uh you, yeah you just you, you know as you say you might miss me but obviously some people who are making the decisions don't and don't want me to do it, and that's so, that's life. That's we, we've had that's, conversations. That's, that's, that's the business of the business. <laughs> it is the business of the business. But, but we've had conversations in the past where we were we were debating like World Cup spots for 2019, and you were, you were on our list. So yeah, as JB says, it was a it, it was a surprise. It's it would be such a shame um, if we didn't see you refereeing because you still still got a, a lot of miles in the in the tank yeah but uh, the, the obvious thing when we heard about it was well what are pro 14 doing they they need to get on the phone but then we've we've seen players going to japan i don't know if there's referees can go to japan in in the same way <laughs> or even if you could take your family there if the opportunity existed um look i, I think i think the big thing is refereeing doesn't pay like playing does you know you can be a big player and you can go to these places and make a bit of money it, it doesn't do the same here so I have a wife who's got a, she teaches a good job and I've got two kids. So it's very difficult to up sticks and leave. I'm a school teacher by trade, so I can quickly get back into that and I'm yeah. doing a bit now. Um, so it's very difficult to, to do that. The Pro 14 don't hire, the Pro 14 don't hire the referees. They subcontract their match appointments out to countries. So they'll say, right, Ireland, um, we're going to need four referees from you. Who are you? pushing forward for that. Who are your four guys or your five or your six or whatever it may be, guys and girls that are going to do that? And they say, well, these are our guys. So the Pro 14 can't ring me and say, look, we're hiring you. That's that's not really a possibility. I, I would okay. have to go join a union. They would have to want to put me ahead of one of their young guys or girls or whatever else. So it's a bit, it's a bit of a closed shop, really, but you never know what might happen, but no, it, it's a bit tricky that way. So what is it that the RFU are not doing? And what I mean by that is they've lost a... Scene. Well, they're not doing employing me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But, I mean, but the, the game still exists, you know. It's not like they've said, oh, well, um, we've got one less referee, best have one less game a week. They're still playing the games. They're still, they still no, need there's the always, officials. There's, there's, so there's always something there's always to referee the game. You know, say you can't have a game without a referee, but at that level, there's always a referee. Um, the lower levels, maybe not so much, but um, we we're very, we are lucky with the, the the professional referees in England. We have a really really strong bunch. I think mm. you know it's probably I I believe even though I'm on the side of it now, I believe it's the best referee league in the world. Yeah. It has the best set of referees, and I think any league would take on mass and said, well, you've got to take ten referees from one league. Which one would you take? And I think even with Super Rugby against Pro 14 against Top 14 against everything else, I would think they would be hard pushed not to find a better set of referees than they have in the premiership everyone has you know their favourites and their dislikes and that's fine that's part of being a fan and a, a consumer of the sport as well but I think there's very strong referees and yeah. that's why you can get rid of um, sods like me because they have very good referees I tell you what uh, 
I tell you what, JP, there's going to be some superbly officiated uh, school games soon. <laughs> well, do you, do you know where there's going to be some great officiated games? In Bermuda at the end of the month. What? What's this news? Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about yeah. this phone call and what's going on. What? What is this new? This yeah. new is tens tournament. It sounds exciting. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, the IPL of rugby is what they're trying to set up, um, and it's almost come at the perfect time. So it was being set up before this, but now they're saying so they're starting with a tournament in Bermuda over three weekends. But they're looking to, to go to eight or nine tournaments next next August after the MLR season finishes. Um, and what they'll do is they'll pick up the players who aren't. They'll have eight franchises or 12 franchises, depending on how things go, independently owned. And they will run a series like the IPL. The, instead of like the sevens where you're trying to run a whole competition over a weekend, this will be run like a league over 12 weeks. But all the matches will be played at one venue together. Yeah. So it'll be just like a, a big bash every week of six or seven matches or eight matches with all the teams, all the stars going at it really quick, really fast. Where the, the, the why I love the sevens was brilliant, but day one was almost better than day two because the the matches kind of progressed as the day went on in day one, where you ended up with all the fixtures clumped together at the end. Yes. The problem with day two was the quarterfinals are on at 10 a.m. in the morning and then your semifinals are on at 2 o'clock and then your final is 6.30. It's an awfully long day. So you either miss the quarter or you miss the final. Or a lot of the time you just really end up coming between 11 o'clock and 3 o'clock you know, when the party's on the Sunday. Yeah. And you, you don't really see much of it. This will be more a case of you'll see the action because the action's there in front of you. So I, I actually... I was a bit scooby-doobious at the start, but I've, I've come around a long way to what I think it is going to be now. And there's, there's, you can see now every day there's more and more people getting involved in it. So answer me this then. Um, will the format be all played... Oh, sorry. Will, sorry, will the format be each pair of teams, so in each game, will it, will it only be playing once? Because obviously the rigours of tens are more so, more so than sevens. It's yeah. a longer game, more I, I, I'm not sure whether they're going to play... They're going to play uh, three weekends with the final being on the third weekend. Yeah. Round one and round two, I think, is the first weekend. And round three and knockout, you know, knockout game is the second weekend, I think. And then the finals are all played on the last day. We so do. you're kind of getting that progression as it goes through. But it's very much week one to week two to week three, which is like a Formula One yeah. sort of pit stop. As well. It's a kind of a, a mishmash between Formula One and um, an IPL, and that's the way it's going to run. This yes. is kind of the, the major kickoff event for three weeks. But after this, it'll be a week in a city, a week in the next city, a week in the next city. Kind of like the sevens, but they're not trying to get everything completed in the one weekend. So, from a refereeing point of view, uh, have you done much sevens in 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 the past? What have you got to change from your fifteen style in order to really get a handle on this? Well, sevens, I. I, I did the World Series sevens for two years and finished at the I did a gold medal Commonwealth Games match in 2010 so that's in Australia yes. <laughs> they had all their yeah so that was in that was in Delhi at the Commonwealth Games so that was that was fabulous and I did the World Series final game in in, uh, in Twickenham Edinburgh the last two rounds uh, of that year as well which was the big finals um, so I've done my sevens background I've had my fifteens obviously and, and the tens is kind of a hybrid what also what will be really cool about the the, the tens is. For you to go from 15 to 7, you have to do so much conditioning. You're going to have to do three months or six months conditioning. You won't have to do the same going from 15 to 7. A, because they're rolling subs. B, the nature of the game with five forwards and five backs. 
mm-hmm. also the time period you pay for, and you're not being asked to stop for four hours, play another hugely intensive 15 minute game, stop for four hours, play another huge 15 minute game. It's a totally different structure build up. You play your game, and I think there might be again the next day or the next week, or whatever it is. So you're just asked almost like um, playing normal rugby, but it's just going to be quicker. So you'll have the seven the sevens guys who have really signed on to this because they're at a bit of a loose end at the moment, aren't they? And then you have the 15 guys who are also kicking around because they're not, maybe it's not as much rugby on at the moment. Their contracts are harder to come by. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is great. Like, um, like, if if, if you think of the pots you can pick from, there's quite a lot of player pool you can pick from. Yeah. A hundred percent. And unless you're a freak like Leone Nakarawa, it's so hard to go to jump from 15s to sevens. And I've, I've said this for a long time that I think tens was the opportunity missed by world rugby because I understand why sevens exists and what and what it can do for the sport, and particularly in emerging nations. But it mm. it actually has ended up, as far as I see it, competing with fifteens. Whereas I actually yeah. think tens could sit alongside a lot more comfortably. Do do what they want sevens to do for the game in new markets, but mean that you can actually get Maruitoji. He could be effective in tens yeah, in a way that he could, he could he never could, be could in play, sevens. Yeah, correct. You could take um, Alfie Barberi from from Wasps, the, the new the new hotshot, and you could put him in tens, and he wouldn't have to substantially change his body shape. Where if you're going to come, if you're going to take a, a really up and coming centre, um, say Ollie Lawrence from Worcester, and you're going to put him into sevens, he's going to have to change that strong, yeah, kind of wide, short, physical body shape he has to make him more robust, agile, repeatable sprints. He wouldn't have to do this. And because they have rolling subs, you can bring them on and off. They even have, you can just be an Andy, uh, Andy Goog kicker and just roll roll some Gavin <laughs> Hastings off the it. bench just to hit conversions. Like that's, They're doing that as a sort of NFL style, just bring on the special team. You just bring on your kicker, whack a kick from 52 or 62 or 64, and then just goes off again. Why not? <laughs> Amazing. Is, is, isn't that cool? I tell you, the other you know, pool of players who are going to be very attracted to this will be rugby league guys. Yeah, yep. you can pick them up fairly. Well, cheaply. rugby league probably rugby league probably doesn't have a wide enough base where you can pick up South Africans, you can pick up Argentinians, you can pick up Americans, Canadians, you can pick up Pacific Islands, you can pick up guys from anywhere around the world that are kind of at a loose end or in an off season yeah. or you know not getting enough rugby and they go right, we're going to give you twelve weeks here, boom. Well, or I mean, you know, I can see a lot of the MLR. And, and what about you know, this those as a guys thought? When they finish the season. What about this as a thought with with where rugby's at and, and the financial situation? Could you imagine a, a situation? And it's what a great thing to be able to talk about, given everything else going on. That there's fresh money being injected into rugby union from somewhere. So that that is a really good news story for rugby at the minute. Uh, but I, what about a situation where maybe, let's say, a, a um, in a couple of years' time, Saracens come back up, and uh, one of their big guns says, "You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sign a contract with Saracens to play Heineken Cup rugby." <laughs> I'll, I'll play for the RFU I'll, I'll be yeah. with the RFU playing for England and the rest of the time I might do three months in Japan this season I might do three months in the, the, the new tens tournament yeah. well, why, well why not yeah well you could you, you know well, it would be lovely to imagine that someone could get like you could go MLR then you could go into the tens then you could come over that would finish that would finish in October you could come over pick up a six month contract playing whatever level depending how good you are in the UK, you know, or in France, you know, because you could come over in November, you could play 
pick up a six month contract and then go back to the MLR and then go back on the tens and you're just traveling following the sun having a great time yeah we've spoken in the past about the the kind oh, without of, having the seven style uh, yeah physical with, needs without the seven style conditioning but we, we've spoken in mm. the past about the um the value um, how valuable it is to have uh, players available mid-season good players available mid-season in case um, a club gets a horrendous spate of injuries in say second row or back row or the centre and this it just gives more gives the opportunity for more players to be playing at a high level round the world so it's, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah. And more opportunities when this damn coronavirus is out of the way for <laughs> road trips by the sound of it Bermuda <laughs> would have been lovely advice. yeah ter- ter- so, uh, it could be JP's Tier 2 Tours to Bermuda. Exactly. <laughs> so have you got a list of places you would like to see the 10s? Because I have I have, a, I have a very, very clear list of places where I'd like to see All of them have uh, drinking think, altitude. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Rooftop bars. Yeah, I, th- I think there's, it's really exciting. I think the places they're looking at, and I don't think any's confirmed yet, but I think they're looking at Mauritius and New York. Good. Uh, Seattle, Dallas. Good. Los Angeles. Maybe a Cape Town one. Maybe Buenos Aires one as well. Something along those lines. Nice. I would do a But Bifa. again, it's all, it's a bit this up is... in the air at the moment. But not, I think these they're looking at North America. No, they're looking at North America for the investment for the franchises because they just need eight or 12 franchises and they're going to move them this, around the cities there. So for me, yeah, I probably, I'd like to base myself in Ottawa with my family. And yeah, I'm. I wouldn't say I'm up for rent, but I'm I'm available to go do what they need. <laughs> well, I would say. Well, I mean, I I think I think a perfect job for you, JP, would be uh, head of head of officiating done remotely, and then you can fly out as and when you know, as you see the a big game that needs your attention, you could fly out and then you know uh, supervise the officiating crew from the sideline. That that seems perfect. Oh, that sounds that sounds great. You mean if, if I see anyone having too much fun, just get over there immediately and stop them? <laughs> well, I mean we can dress it up differently, but yeah, effectively, <laughs> or get involved. Yeah, I, I think we should add Ibiza to the list. Yeah. I think we should add um, uh, Barcelona to the list. I think as well there should be an event during a ski season somewhere. Ooh, yeah. So you know, somewhere well, like... there, there is, there is, there is snow. There is ones in teens and stuff. There is the snow fives and stuff. Yeah, there is. Um, so that used to be places like teens and stuff. Yeah, but they could do a, they could do a Salt Lake City San Francisco hybrid one. That's only about an hour and a half away from yeah. each, a couple of hours away so from each other. There was a tournament organised. I think that's one that JP is referring to there, which was organised by. Um, got the ex French international Garbajosa, and it's like the six resort. Um, yeah, uh, and they go around yeah. different resorts and play in snow. There definitely has to be that. Awesome, love it. Oh well, again, just to. I think that's more. I think that's more for senior boys drinking port, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you know, <laughs> they still need referees. They need referees, and I, I think you know, it's just more about yeah. Well, J- JP, I-, I insist that you uh, you do a little email introduction with the with the bosses of this new venture because it sounds like a uh, exciting times ahead. Yeah, what's the uh, pitch side reporting game there like, J- JP? Are they, are they looking for some <laughs> yeah, real well, talent? No, I, they are. They uh, well, they've announced um, uh, uh, Painter. Um, so you can Joe, say his uh, name. It's fine. It's not uh, Voldemort. Um, Alex Payne. He's a lovely man. No, yeah, Alex he- Payne. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember his first name. Alex. Alex Payne. Is doing it. The, the girl from uh, is it Loza or Lisa from South Africa? Is, oh yeah, she, she's uh, a super sport girl. Elma, she's El- doing Elma it. Smith. And yeah. Elma, that's the girl. That's the lady. Uh, Elma. Uh, I haven't met her yet, but I've, I've had her uh, doing her stuff on the sideline. 
Oh, excellent. and Derek Garden, Nick Heath commentating. Yeah, Nick Heath, um, and it's going to be it's going to be. Sh- I'm pr- I'm pretty sure it's going to be shown on television here. I just think they're waiting to announce. I don't want to say anything that's out of my place, but I believe it's going to be shown. So mm. it's just a matter of ne- announcing or signing the deal. So you will see it, which is very exciting as well. That is exciting. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Do, do you know one of the mo- the most pleasing things from this chat, JP, is that you still um, uh, watch the rugby because. I know it's not exactly the same, but when when Chris Moyles nicked my radio job <laughs> and I got fired, I, I found it really hard to listen to that station. Yeah, we all I, did, Tim. Yeah, I, I still don't listen to it <laughs> on your behalf, Tim. Thank but, you, Phil. Appreciate that. It, but, it, it, look, I, look, I, I'll level it. it. It is hard sometimes to watch it. It's pretty much heartbreaking. But at the same time, you've been a rugby nose from the age of seven. You're going to, you know, my interest is not refereeing. It's rugby at the end of the day, mm. you know. I dislike referees as much as the next guy when I'm watching when I'm supporting a team. So, you know, you're watching rugby, you're not watching the ref, and that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well said. Hopefully, we'll see you on the sidelines for Didsbury Talk H sooner rather than later, as soon as this, uh, as soon as this pandemic is over. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> just a quick thought then, as, as we've got your, your expertise at your head, just the Champions Cup final. How do you see that one panning out? Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Um, because of the dichotomy between the two teams, you've got you've got power versus panache. Uh, that's not to say that the Parisians don't have the power because they do. Um, you've got Nigel Owens refereeing it, so his style. Who will that lend towards? That'll probably lend it maybe a bit towards Rassing, because mm. um, he might let it flow a bit more. It might be as as you know, if the if the spectrum is from Stickley to. To Jue, he might be more lenient that way, but at the same time, he'll, he'll have to certainly put his his stamp on the game. So you would think that it'll come down to who. I always think with the, the likes of Exeter and the likes of Saracens and the likes of the big French teams, you know, are even monster when you look at them. It's the three six nine game, isn't it? So if in the first half, the team who play with power can go three six nine they have a very good chance of getting to 16 beat through a mistake from the opposition and then there's a big chase on but if it stays level level you would expect um the, the parisians to pull out um Rassi metro to pull out some sort of jue like they did last time but if it's if it stays in an arm wrestle you would say exeter will will put the points slowly on the board, a la Saracens, a la Munster, even Leinster when they're playing that way. So that's the way you would see it going. I always think rugby comes down to, if there's no intercept and there's no red card and there's no big moment, you would you would fancy Exeter. But if if there's a bit of something that happens, wow, that's crazy, like like um, like Racing did in the semi final, you would you would go with that. So it's really about on the day how that first 15 minutes goes and then after that first 15 minutes you should be able to see who the winner is I think So you, so you're happily sitting on the fence then JP just just like me Yeah I, I, on this one because because of the nature of the game and I'm sure I haven't looked at the, the bookie but I'm sure it would be somewhere around you know a point or two to either team because are. of the nature of it is Yeah hmm. Yeah I'd Probably I, get a 50-50 split it, it it really is the dichotomy of the two. Both teams have the ability to beat each other. Um, and Bristol, it's a big pitch. It depends on the weather, doesn't it? It depends on how the weather mm. comes in. On If the weather comes in heavy, well, then that fancies Exeter. It's a really, really quick pitch there. It's a big pitch. So that 
helps the Parisians. It's in near Exeter that helps them. <laughs> so it's it, there's no crowd, so that helps the the Racing Metro team. So literally every time you weigh up a factor, um, it goes one or the other. Like my deciding factor was the stash for Racing Metro is far better than the stash of Exeter. I mean, so it really is. Racing, it? It's not really, you know, really close. To it and if and if Racing ever pull out any one of their any, any team that drinks champagne at halftime and wears a pink dicky bow at halftime, they well, done. absolutely. And in one final, they came, they came out in white in white blazers. I mean, that's superb. Mm. Yeah, it's all it's all Eden Park. So it's all Frank Manel when he was playing for them. He in 1982, he he were in the cup final and they brought butlers out with champagne at halftime and they they lined up to meet the president in their pink bow ties and that's where Eden Park clothing came from from that uh, French cup final. Phenomenal. What stuff. a great fact, uh, JP. It was really lovely to talk to you, mate. No worries. And uh, yeah, well let's let's chat again soon. More importantly, when when we can, let's uh, let's have some drinks soon. Definitely. Yeah, that's good. You take care, JP, and enjoy Bermuda. Cheers, guys. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Right. Beautiful. Press M. M. Nice. There you go. We'll put that in there. That's there. What a lovely bloke! Oh, such a such a top bloke. My favourite non Premiership referee. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, when he was at the Premiership, he was my favourite pre- Premiership uh, referee. Yeah, and a top top boy. Big fan of all of us. Some more than others, of course. Yeah. Uh, and big fan of having beers in Philadelphia. Who isn't? Huge, huge fan of that. I huge missed that. <laughs> You'd have loved it. You know. Yeah. I, always, I always think about it. I think the one person who would love this more than anyone would have been Tim. When we, when we were there, you kept saying it, JB. I Tim, kept on saying Tim, it. When we were drinking in the VIP lounge at the stadium. With JB We were drinking Doyle. in the roof, rooftop bar. Yeah. We were drinking with all the Saracens players. When, when we were watching Afterwards. Oxford University do a rendition of their songs, all, um, all on chairs. Every, every PhD time. singing everywhere. I thought Tim would love this. You kept on nudging me and saying Tim would love this. Yeah, <laughs> Tim really would brother. be loving this. Yeah, no, when, uh, we were at Terminal Market. Oh uh, yeah, we we're watching the NFL. You we were having some cheese steak and some oh. and oysters. And I, oh, I, and I as every oyster slid down my throat, I thought Tim would love this. The oysters and champagne that we had. Yes. Oh yeah. God, you would have loved that. You would, How really? was your Philly cheesesteak? I've never had it, one. What good. is it? It's good. It's it's a bit like it's so it is very thinly sliced steak. Like mm. almost like a Donomite type um, thinness okay. to it, uh, with then a very rich and creamy cheese sauce on it, yeah. and it's like fried onions and a few other bits and pieces. We had that with some Lagunitas, didn't we? When we just arrived, <sighs> what a day! We just watched oh. NFL. All this is a day after the after the Premiership game, after Newcastle versus Saracens, which we. It gave a courtesy watch to. I mean, we didn't watch it all, <laughs> admittedly. Um, I, I'm not surprised about that. Having gone all the way to Rome to watch, <laughs> <laughs> we we were, and I've never seen New Zealand before. I've mentioned this before on the podcast. JB was so into the, the you know the entertainment you can have in Rome that we missed the hacker, and then <laughs> we only be- just got into into. Um, the stadium they were yeah. closing up they were closing up letting you into the stadium so I missed the hacker and then by half time Jamie's like should we just go into town on, should we just go <laughs> <laughs> well to be fair we did we stayed within the stadium for quite a while drinking their complimentary Prosecco yes. oh yeah oh, that's a hell of a stadium 
Yeah. And do, do you know what? I, I thought maybe this is the one for Italy. I mean, they reeled off the players. Benetton were doing well. Sergio was still playing. Yeah. Maybe not his height, but he was still playing. Um, and within 10 minutes, it was quite obvious this was not going to be a real game. When the, the crowd was doing a Mexican wave 10 minutes in and the All Blacks are 21 nil up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just want coronavirus to go away so we can have more... Road Whoops. trips to to Bermuda or or wherever else these ten series will be to Tier Two and all the rest of it. Please, anywhere, just, anywhere, <laughs> yeah. anywhere, anywhere. Please, um, but we were just talking about the Champions Cup final. Before we get onto that, let's 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 dovetail into Exeter that, that JP was just talking about and the semi final beatdown that they gave Bath. Yeah, it was it was so predictably ex achieved. That I mean, it was a brilliant performance by Exeter all, all round, and the the way that they fronted up in the forwards, in the pack, all round in the pack, and the way that they were smart enough and controlled the game in the backs, and particularly um, Stuart Hogg, who we we all know has got um, he's got an incredible boot, he's got a powerful boot, and he's got an incredible turn of pace. Mm. What I didn't. I can't really remember him doing a huge amount in the past was how intelligently he chose to whether to kick or run and then how in, intelligently he um, actually executed his kick returns into space to constantly pick, pin Bath back into their own half and their own 22. Yeah, it's an important point, that, isn't it? Because the world superstars of the game, we think of because they're very good at the flash things. And it's actually the bread and butter stuff which gets you... Uh, trophies, and I, I think Stuart Hogg is a, a great example. And, and to that. speak on Exeter to that end, I was thinking about this, and this is how good Exeter are. They've just hammered a team in the semi-final of a Premiership. They're in a Champions Cup final and a Premiership final. And if you were picking a Premiership team of the year, I think you'd well. We'll wait and see what what the BT Sport Premiership team of the year is. All the guys are putting their heads together and um, and coming up with a fifteen. But I would. I would think there'll be a couple of Exeter Chiefs. Yeah, one or two. Luke yeah. Cowan, Dickey at hooker. Yeah, well, Cowan, Dickey should be in there. Johnny Hill at lock would be another one potentially. And uh, yeah, but who else? Oh, we'll Sam, Sam Simmons. Simmons. So and maybe three in the pack, but none in the back line. Possibly Hogg. Um, I don't know. Well, Hogg's a sexy enough name to put in a team team of the year. I mean, he and he is he is stardust. Wow. Has he been so. the best fullback in the? I think Piatal's been a better fullback in the Premiership. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, but that's not that he's been yeah. bad. He hasn't been yeah. bad. But this, but this is but exactly you, you, my yeah. point. But the yeah. point I'm making yeah. is that's how good Exeter I mean, are. They're they're so good that they don't rely like Bristol on individual talent. Even though they have individual talent, they don't rely on it. So, yeah. Joe, so Joe Simmons is a class example. The guy captains the best team in the country. Yeah. And I don't think he'll even get the slightest nod for team, team of the year. He probably won't. But, in, I mean, just in this game, so the the two um, late tries, or later, the two second-half tries, the hog try, where he drops his shoulder on uh, Jonathan Joseph, who is a very good... Oh, I couldn't believe that happened. I know. I, I re- He rolled him back. It wasn't... I d- there was just something to it. He just kind of a half show, dropped the shoulder, rolls through, offload Hog in the corner. There was yeah. that, and for the Devoto try, oh yeah, where he breaks. Class. That was so. Both of those. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think. Like we we spoke the other week about comparing him to. Is he more of a Farrell? Is he more of a Ford? 
Bit of both. I'd, I, well, I'd say I'd say neither of those two could have manufactured those two tries. No, that's actually a re- that's a great shout, Phil. And he has been he's been that's a great shout. He, sh- he should be. He should definitely be in the conversation for England as well because he just. I, I mean, to get him past those two would be something. But he is playing some phenomenal stuff at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, just go back to John the Joseph thing. I have. Genuinely, never seen Jonathan Joseph been treated like that as a defender. Oh, yeah. No, and he's played m- much bigger. He's played against much, much bigger players yeah. than than Joe Simmons. I mean, by rights, that Exeter team should not have won against that bad team. Like, just, just, just take, just take the shirts off, right? Just think about who, like, the talent. Yeah, like Watson, singer. Yeah, Fallot. I, I mean, even at, even at fly half, right? If you asked. I mean, you know, when you put the shirts on them, you'd always say um, Joe Simmons. But if you just got the average guy on the street and said, you know, uh, rank the top 20 fly halves in the world, you would probably get Priestland in there. Most people that watch international rugby would never come up with, 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 with Joe Simmons. But Joe Simmons is clearly a much better player. Yeah. Clearly. M- my, and, and miles better as well. So, Bath were, well, they were very Bathish. <laughs> um, incredibly powerful, very good team, and I think the performance they put in would probably beat a lot of other teams because the first ten minutes they were all over Exeter, and that was a the difference. They punched themselves out er- early, but if they were playing, I don't know, any other random team in the league, they'd probably get a try. They probably get two tries. The, com- the, you know, the complexion of the game looks completely different, and it sorts itself out from there. Well, they threw everything at Exeter, and they couldn't get through. And then when Exeter score their try, their counterpunch. I think heads just start to go down then. Yeah, and and the way that Exeter scored those counter punches, yeah, with, brutal you, through the middle. Yeah, and you you get once they're in the twenty, once they're in your twenty two, it's game, it's just how long you can hold them out for because you're not going to stop them. Yeah, they are getting over your line one way or another, be it Cowan Dickey or Johnny Hill or Sam Simmons or one of their mutant uh, South African or Namibian or um, Zimbabwean. What are they rows. get? Yeah, one of their sub-Saharan African back generic, rows. Generic African back rows. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, they were they were absolutely brutal. I, I'm very upset with Bath that they couldn't get that early score because I think that does change things a little bit. I mean, not. I mean, they still lose. But if if they. Um, as JP was saying, the three six nine. If you start to build those points, so they got two penalties relatively early. If they'd added a try to those two penalties relatively early on, then all of a sudden there's doubts in Exeter's mind as to, yeah, hang on a minute, we're we're ch- we're now chasing the game, and teams do strange things. They make sh- they make bad decisions when you start chasing the game. Everyone has a plan until you punch them in the face. Exactly, and sadly, Bath they. they they got close to uh, bloodying Exeter's nose, but they never quite did it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I love the, the the point that was being made in commentary, which is Bath are doing nothing wrong. Exeter <laughs> are just that good. Like the the pick and drive, five metres out from a line, we've seen it for season after season now, and I'm sure every coach, every other team that play against Exeter go, right, this week we are just going to find a way. Yeah, yeah. You can't. Well, yeah. you can you can you can take the ball away from them before they take before they go on the pick and drives, and this is the fascinating thing about wasps. So if wasps can dominate the uh, the breakdown, which I'm pretty sure they can't, because if I wanted to dominate wasps breakdown dominators, I would almost certainly pick an extra style attack yeah. with that triangle of carriers when they go and pick and go, so I can run into a Willis, keep him on the ground, 
ruck over him and then don't let him up. Just don't just literally do not let do not let him up. And I'd do that over and over again. That said, if Willis and Co can take the ball away before they get up ahead of steam, before they get into that five metre yeah. channel, well, then we've got a bit of a different game. But uh, but all the people saying extra boring and stuff, no, they, they do that. They are not boring. They do that efficient five metre out, relentless try scoring. But the the play they. But why is that boring? The play, no, removing no, 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 someone's no. soul is not, it's not boring. <laughs> regardless, the play they used to get there is incredible. And that Devoto try that you've already mentioned, Phil, that is not was boring. one of the best tries this season. And is it bad? For, I can't for remember For many it. seasons. So good. Oh, it's the... Started in their own half, about three phases in total, but brilliant handling, um, real quick recycling of the ball, and then uh, Joe Simmons, that offload off the deck. Genuinely can't remember it. <laughs> That that was it, the, Joe Simmons. The, it was a team try, uh, finished by Devoto, but executed by Joe Simmons. Um, and that the, for the hog try, where um, Joe Simmons drops the shoulder. Those are two world class tries. Yeah, they really are brilliant. They really are. And it, Exeter are not boring. Do you know what else wasn't boring? Tell me <laughs> the the free rugby we got at the end of Blood Is Low One. Oh, I love free rugby. I love free rugby. I didn't even know the game was on, so... <laughs> but you'd, you'd be forgiven for missing it live, because was it 3am co- coverage started? Although, <laughs> wow, actually, 4am four, four was the game kick kicks off. off. They had a full hour of build-up, and I, I watched some of the build-up. It's, um, it's a little bit bonkers, the build-up. A lot of it is exactly the same as the coverage you get in the UK. Um, some of it, they've got Joe Wheeler and Izzy Dag. As a little sort of comedy duo. Who's Joe Wheeler? Uh, I, th- I assume he must have played rugby at some point. Joey but... Wheels. Joey you, Wheels. You don't know Joey Wheels. Jay Wheels. Jay Wheels. He played. I think he has been playing in Japan for a period of time. Oh, he yeah. played. He's a natural. He's a g- genuine uh, super rugby player. Is he funnier than the Honey Badger? No. Uh, no. Yeah, but isn't it? You know, the Honey Badger's been caught out with his little with his little jibes. Has what? Yeah, so someone um, gave an example. Oh, he's, he's not PC enough anymore, is that it? No, 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 far from it. Um, Joey comes out with what sounds like that every man, oh, I was, you know, busier than a one-armed... Busier than a one-armed bricklayer in Baghdad. Yeah, but, and it, oh, that's a, that's an organic funny quip. Turns out, quite a lot of them, they, they've, they've come from elsewhere. Really? Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I don't doubt that i don't really care <laughs> yeah it's the delivery isn't it that, yeah. that counts he does have, he does have good comic time i'll be going off like a cat snake when i'll get my first <laughs> meat pie yeah to be fair <laughs> cut, I, yeah cat snake i can imagine people from where he is from saying stuff like that lots yeah. lots of things like cut snakes yeah and yeah. rooster he's a tough rooster i can imagine that but the um oh, tough as woodpecker lips <laughs> oh it's a good line it's but yeah line. so anyway they had a full hours build up but the game itself was i mean you talk about intense matches yeah and fair play dave rennie cuz you look at the you looked at the australian lineup and I, well a, bu- a bunch of it it was like a couple of years ago when i started you know what turn on england cricket team and go i don't, <laughs> don't who's that i don't know half these who's names who's that um like tom banks the fullback yeah, Br- Brumby's Tom, Tom Banks. Um, um, we did mention him potentially being yeah. in the World Cup squad. Yeah, we, we did. He had a good season that it's year. It's funny, you watch these the, players. The, the guy that... Oh, right winger. Um, oh, uh, Dal- 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 
Dagunu, who is classic for the red class, car. Yeah. Um, the guy that I didn't know at all was Harry Wilson. Oh, I've, met, six. I, I've mentioned him before, um, so, but, he, for, but I didn't mention him because I went, what a player. I mentioned him because he was the guy that in Super Rugby I saw with the shortest shorts ever. Oh. And he wore very, very small shorts again, but he was awesome. And Good lad. He, he is... He balances that back row totally. because Hooper and Pete Samu, who most people will know, they are very good players, but neither one of them is particularly big. Um, whereas he is a, I mean, he's only 20 years old and he is a big slice, a big strong boy with a good en- engine on him. And Taniela Tupu had yeah. an absolutely awesome game, he, given the tight head yeah. shirt to start this time and uh, so you had quite a lot of players on debut you had James O'Connor at fly half and who had a great game who had a really, really good re- game really good. apart from I will say if he could have kicked sticks a lot oh, better than he yeah. had done yeah. which, which was actually true of both teams because yeah. Geordie Barrett who is a phenomenal kicker didn't have the best day kicking sticks now it was yeah. it was awful conditions raining horrendously um, but I don't think the goal but the goal kicks for James O'Connor yeah you'll think he, if he could have added that as well, but he did play brilliantly as you he said. Did. Yeah, but the, the the reason why, well, both teams I think will legitimately be coming away going, we really should have put that one away. We should have won that. Well, New Zealand had Rico Yuani not done his trademark da- one-handed dive and put the ball down in torrential rain conditions and dropped it no, over the line. No. no, no one within ten yards of him. No, and he drops the ball. He was. He was a. Stupid turnover. It was a classic Rico Yuani try, and as much as all he had to do was catch, right. catch the ball and put it down. Can I just say, running? Uh, like, we could have legitimately yeah. scored the this try. This is when the rot starts to set in. So it, this is it, because that is unacceptable uh, by all black standards. They would never have done that. So that when, as well, if he, that was on on the stroke of half time when yeah. he goes over and fails to dot the ball down, and New Zealand are that was nine three or something. No, like it was thirteen three. That would have made it twenty points to three. New Zealand twenty points to three up at half time, or at least at eighteen home. three. Yeah. The it, it, three that scores. Was, out. Yeah, it would have been a, an easy conversion because he wasn't right on the oh, sticks. Yeah, There's right. nowhere, no one around him. It would have should have been twenty points to three. It's game over, and then missing that, and then fair play to Australia the way they started the second half, yeah. uh, and the way they played for the whole of the second half, they were the better team. Tell you what, I'm looking half. at these these teams. And I can't believe it was a draw. I know. I mean, they've even got Nash. Um, uh, nat- naturalised Irishman Fr- uh, Shannon Frizzell playing for them <laughs> when he plays it seems like there's eight there's like eight of him he's yeah. everywhere <laughs> and Ardy Surveyor playing at number eight New Zealand, did, New Zealand didn't pl- won't be looking at the game tape thinking we played really badly what we say then Foster out Fozzie out on game one well no like got to go say, ga- game was game was done at half time if Rico Ioani yeah yeah does the most basic thing that would be expected of any rugby player at any level let alone yeah. on the highest stage of all he absolutely blew it and normally New Zealand in the second half because they are just historically fitter than every other team mm. they normally pull away and they're clearly not fit- fitter than this Australia team yeah, they I, could not pull away at all I will add one little caveat Rico Ioani's foot was in touch for the first for the try the first try as well yeah you, you are right and it didn't get spotted and, and it didn't the, get spotted the touch judge should have spotted it because he was right there, the ch- looking at the it. Touch judge, uh, and he was an Aussie as well. He was Angus Gardner, yeah, the TJ. So, 
Yeah, and that was for the Geordie Barrett tried 10 minutes in. But the ending was bonkers. If you just watch the last, just watch from like 79 minutes, JB, you'll get 10 minutes of rugby and yes. it, it'll be so exciting. Even watch from, it's about 71 where uh, Geordie Barrett misses a penalty with about eight minutes to go. Yes. And then um, James O'Connor slots a penalty a couple of minutes later. Then Geordie Barrett, with one minute to go, levels it up and... With no minutes left on the clock, 81 minutes on the clock, um, Reese Hodge. Hodge gets a, a shot of goal from, in comms they said 55, 56 metres. I think it's even further than that. It was against the wind. On the halfway line, to the side, closer to the 15 metre line than the middle, and at least five metres back past the halfway line in his own half. So it is, it's closer to 60 metres than 50 metres. And distance wasn't an issue. Uh, d- d- he hits the top of the post <laughs> from that distance. That, was, that would have travelled 90 metres, that kick. Well, that was a re- an absolutely ridiculous kick. But that sparks just total insanity because he, he fails to score that. New Zealand fail to gather it, and then Australia have the ball in New Zealand's 22 with no time left on the clock. And how New Zealand do not give away a penalty, how the ref does not give a penalty oh, I know. Away that against New Zealand. Satoto was all over the ball. But then they steal, New Zealand steal it, and they're not accepting a draw at home. Yeah. Even though the conditions are horrendous. So from their own five metre line, it's Hoskins to Toto again. Yeah. Does a, a basketball chess pass yeah. out to, to Caleb, Caleb Clark, Clark yeah. who looked so explosive. And it would it just went from there. And New Zealand went 95 metres only to um, turn over the ball and have on the 89th minute uh, full-time blow. And not a, single, not, not a single penalty and not a single breakdown in between the two try lines. <laughs> when when you had Australia camped on New Zealand and then New Zealand on Australia, bonkers game, magnificent. It was go, so good. Go back and rewatch that. You should. Yeah, it's, yeah. What, it's definitely worth you should rewatching. Even oh, if wait, you James do. O'Connor, bloody hell! I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the breathing works. I, I, he had two years to do something over in Manchester. <laughs> but why could he have done this in Manchester? Because he didn't have... Uh, Dave Rennie as his coach. Or Corabetti and yeah. Dalguni playing outside him. Yeah, he, he had better, you'd argue. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty the, sure. Those boys. I mean, they didn't even think he was... Oh, they signed him as a 10. They had looking look at him like, nah, not, not a 10. Not a 10. I'd argue that he wasn't a 10 for the longest time. Bloody hell. What Fair a, play, because he, he is... a waste of money. I, I remember th- think, looking at him in the past and thinking... He's out of shape. He's he's basically lost it, and he's got himself. He looks in tremendous shape. His feet look good. His his distribution looks good when he's not throwing intercepts like he did in Super yeah. AU occasionally. But it's a it's been. I hate to use this word because I'm sure he'll be using it himself. A journey. <laughs> he has been on a journey. Well, he, so he showed up at sale, and he was in great shape. And then he put on a lot of weight, but it wasn't. I mean. It wasn't good weight, but it wasn't bad weight. What I mean, it wasn't all bad weight. Yeah, it was purpose. The the purpose behind it is you didn't want to get so injured, and you wanted to play twelve or thirteen. Yeah, and you just needed a little bit more bulk because because it's a Premiership. And then, you know, he must have he was doing something right because when they went over to La Rochelle, he was the absolute boy. So he it slowly found his form, and then Australia came back in from because Australia were absolutely decimated. Said right, come home. And from then, he's just taken his opportunity and built and built and built. He has. And in this game, having Tamua outside him and Nick White inside him, who are both 
classy operators. Nick White was so good. Yeah, he's a good player though, isn't he? He's and pretty he, yeah. good. I was watching this thinking, so he was steppy and he was his passing fizzed and he was keeping the defenders honest. And that pass for the Australian, for the Corabetti try was oh, ridiculous. Yeah, the, the, or Dalguni, I can't remember. That, that was the Dalguni one. Yeah. The, the thinking of that, to react, get yeah. there and and flick it out the back. But he, he Nick White's an interesting one because he's... So he, I almost think he was wasted at Exeter because Exeter do not need... They do not need a... He, he would have been on... I'm going to just pluck a number out there. He would have been on 300k, something like that. He would have big money, international yeah. signing. Take, take, they got him from Montpellier. Montpellier play... Uh, they pay a little bit for their boys. Uh, occasionally. No, did he not go back to Montpellier? No, he went from Exeter to Brumbies. That's right. But he was sadly wasted at Exeter, even though they were so successful with him there, because they only needed kind of 30% of his skill set. Do you remember the game? <laughs> yeah, yes, a, yeah. Fair, a really but, fair shout. Uh, you know, um, here's a, here's a, true, uh, a true story. I was talking to one of the England... Well, a coach that used to work with uh, in England 16s, and he's very, very much invested into development of rugby. Mm. And he was saying, like, you know, Russell Earnshaw, and I will drop, drop that name, Clang. would be de- designing these development pathways for these young lads to, to play and they'd be getting all these skills and all these attributes and they'd be phenom- phenomenal at the things they do and they get to a premiership team and they go we don't need you to do that that, that, <laughs> that or that can you kick? <laughs> and that'd be it like you know, they're using 25% of their skill sets Maybe as a maybe the moral of the story there is only train them to train them up on twenty five percent of the skill set. I don't know, but but then the, there's because the, the, well, the argument is the what I've heard Eddie Jones say, which is like um, in England particularly they did robots, as, and this is probably a dig more at the the Premiership clubs rather than um, the Russell, Russell Earnshaw type skill set, which is guys don't think for themselves, and England and Eddie Jones saw it with the Fox against Italy where you put them a, an unusual problem in front of them and they can't think their way around it. They can try and run through it. But the funny thing about Foxgate is we talk about it like they lost yeah, like 50, 50 points. points but yeah, I think they solved it. But it was it showed up huge failings in that England camp. And, and I think uh, Eddie Jones would... Well, I'm pretty certain I've heard him admit as such. Um, it, so it was... England were always going to win that game. England were never going to lose that game. Mm. It was just how badly they played in the first half of that game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so Nick White. <clears throat> Do you remember the game when Nick White basically carried the ball more than any other player against... Yeah. There was one game where they had this really unusual... Two years ago, or last yeah. year. A really unusual start- strategy of Nick White literally picking every time he could, right through the middle of New Zealand. They might have won, actually. Yeah, I think they did win that... That yeah, game. It's like so ridiculous. Like Lettuce 20 carries. It was ridiculous. Last year. Uh, so, how old is Michael Hooper now? 30. He's 30 and he's just got his 100th international. Oh, cap. Is, he, is he even 30? He might 27, not, he, isn't he? He might not even be 30. Let me just. He's not that. as young as 27. I've got a feeling 27. 100 caps. It's. He'll be, he'll be pushing George North soon. He is 28. Oh, my 28. God. He, uh, in fairness to him, he is 29 in two and a half weeks' time. There we go. Still, that is ridiculous. A hundred caps, age twenty-eight, and he—that is mental. He that is, is crazy. He's a hell of a player. George North has got, I reckon, eighty caps. George North, well, George North and Hoops, I'm sure they're the same age. As they're born within yeah. six months of one another, because they were both on the trajectory to be the most cap player 
of all time. So 142 Ritchie or, or Alan Wynn now. No, when no, does Alan Wynn get it? I want to say 147 for Ritchie. Yeah. Mind you, that's still a hell of a, <laughs> a lot of caps to go that's through. still a lot to go yeah. through, isn't it? Particularly and, when there's no international rugby. And with uh, Richie McCaw, who's got, I think, higher than 90% win ratio, which Hooper cannot claim to, that he has. He'll have to win a lot of games from now until the day he retires. But, uh, just, One, does, 148 does, for New Zealand is, is Richie. Right. What's his winning percentage, Hooper? And then, maths, how many games would he need to win? He'd have to play until he's like 300 games yeah. based on his current winning percentage. Does it, but doesn't the world just feel right with a good Australia team? It just. It, it's, it, yeah, it feels like there's a weight off your shoulders that rugby might not uh, die instantly, yeah. Yeah. A good, a good France team and a good Australia team. Because South, South Africa for, yeah. for a period of about eight years over the last 10 oh, years. Oh, yeah, with under In between their two World Cup. Yeah. I wonder how much of how how bad they really are though. Oh, do we just get hysterical about it? Because no, they weren't good. They weren't good, were they? No. I agree with that. But maybe they were good. I mean, maybe they're better than maybe the teams that were better than them were just much much better. The maybe guys on the Green and Gold podcast stopped doing little two way podcasts with us because they were <laughs> they, we, we couldn't we, they, they wouldn't answer the phone, guys. <laughs> so yeah, maybe yeah, maybe. But it looks like Brenny's doing the job yeah have Scotland missed a trick there 100% yeah. wouldn't be like Scotland to miss a trick hey have I got a Lamborghini that parks at my gym and the number plate on this Lamborghini is SRU1 and I thought that's hilarious because <laughs> legitimately the only person in rugby that could afford that would have been Mark Dodson Do- yeah or Dodson, Dodson straight after his 900k uh, um, or whatever it was 300k what was it Player I saw. Oh, I can't say. Yeah, you can. Go no, on. I Tell can't. me about the Premiership no, player that you know. No, 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 no. The number plate that a Premiership player has. Well, and I, you... I, I don't want to say it. Even the plate, which right, is um, obvious. If you that's it, surely. <laughs> no, I'm you, not can't, say. you can't give that one off the card. No problem with that. Not fair to it. Anyway, um, I'm looking at the. Uh, really caught. Blue is 89.2 win 80... ratio. No, 89.2. Court is 50-50, not McCall. Um, Hoop is 50-50. Wow. Yes. Not a win. In the he would have done better. So, so if Hooper was to win, I know, because that's not even good. You have to play another uh, eight rests and wishing one of 184 to his 40s? He played late into 30s and was still scoring 60 metre tries the against the All Blacks. Uh, a wing slash wing second slash, row slash eight. Yeah, so that's where the next record cap holder is going. <laughs> so, um, I'd say, isn't it a shame that uh, Falatau is so injury prone? Yeah. That would, that would be the guy. Could be the guy. Well, maybe Billy. Yeah. Uh, he's had a few problems with injuries. But they're always, tell you what, they're always snapped bones and that's encouraging. <laughs> so, so like if it was, um, you know, repeat shoulder, shoulders coming undone, or knee reconstruction, knee reconstruction thing. No, yeah, it's just a forearm. The forearm snap. You, you can get, you can get a bit of metal. Yeah, to do I mean the that, job. that's a carpentry problem. <laughs> it's mechanically simple. Yeah, um, and and they are predictable timescales, whereas ankle ligament damage or knee ligament damage, they're all bad. Less predictable timescales. So there's, there's some in-depth <laughs> rugby analysis for you. Do so you, we somehow got lost off yeah, from the New Zealand do you, Looking ahead, should we just cast our mind onto the Champions Cup final before we're done? Well, yes. It sounds, sounds reasonable. Uh, how, we, we heard how JP Doyle thinks it'll go. I, I think Exeter are going to win this. So in the, I mean, they beat down to lose. They did. They're absolutely battered to lose. Now, one thing that does go against Exeter, I mentioned it before, is just the attritional nature of their fixture schedule. So this, they did, they battered that Bath team 
but in order to back that bat team, they've put themselves through the mill because that bat team is physical. Um, That's fair. Conversely, uh, I don't know if either of you saw the lineup for Racing 92 versus Toulouse, and it was a total, total beating. Right. Oh. So Racing have had a week off, whereas Exeter will, I'm certain they will definitely lose Ollie Woodburn. They were already missing Jack Noel. Um, I hope Joe Simmons, as you said before, Tim, I hope he plays, but I don't know. Um, Johnny Hill might get a knock on the door from the sighting commissioner from that um, clear out on the back of... He, he was dealt with and given yellow card at the time. Yeah. And hoping, I don't think it will. Nah, I don't think they'll card, do that. Yeah, fine. Um, I'm a little bit surprised. I don't know if either of you saw the Ian Henderson red card this weekend in the, in the no. 78th minute against no, Ospreys when, it, when the game was already done. But there was shade, there was similarities between the two. Both were... Um, Binding onto a roll, failure to bind onto a rock, joining a rook with no attempt to bind, where a shoulder made contact with the head neck area. The Johnny Hill one, there was a lot more fuss, but it was to the back of the head neck area compared to uh, the I really the thought, I loved the effect of that. I thought Luke Pitt Wayne Barnes, as TMO, Wayne Barnes TMO, I thought they nailed that. I, I, I could, we could have been a good squad with Courtney Laws. Definitely, I talked it all through, was brilliant. I'm going to Marseille. This Ooh. Friday. Why? What happens there? Well, uh, there's a little place 20 minutes outside Marseille is A en Provence, which is where the Challenge Cup final is. Can you bring back some rosé, please? <laughs> uh, only if I can get it in duty-free. Why? Oh, because you can't get it in your... Can't take liquid. Oh, I can buy hold... If you want to pay for hold luggage, I can do that for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. 100 quid. Yeah, you're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, Tim, we swore... We swore after our last we, time in Marseille, we, we are Marseille. never going to Marseille again. Well, I'm going to Marseille Airport, okay. and then I'm driving from there to Aon Provence, whatever. It's a little town just outside Marseille where the Challenge Cup final is. Oh, oh the Challenge nice. Cup. That's the one you're doing. Nice. Why are they sending all the talent to the Challenge Cup? I, I'm, well, I don't, I don't know. You'll have to ask who... Maybe they're trying to really push the competition this year. I, <laughs> I am. I think I'm the only person basically going down there because it's going to be done in the studio. They're just, really? They're basically. I'm a human shield for, for everyone else. <laughs> You're like the concussion boy of broadcasting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm BT Sports concussion boy. Get, yeah. What do they call them in Chernobyl? Was it bio drones? <laughs> a tri- Chernobyl that they sent bio drones. <laughs> Who do we have who's disposable? Who's <laughs> <laughs> Rockefeller? Yeah, send him. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, wonderful! I think, but so actually, when's the kickoff on Saturday? Because I might miss it on the plane. Oh, is it? F- I want to say four. If it's four o'clock, I'm 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 all, okay. I'm all right. Oh, coming back, coming back. Yeah, yeah, I might miss the final. So what? It's always- Friday night. Four forty-five is the kickoff. Oh, beautiful! I think my plane lands at Manchester Airport at four. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, you so can easily get home. Have you got restrictions? I might miss. I might miss ten minutes of the brilliant build-up yeah. on BT Sport, though. So I'll have to record it, and not find anything out, so I can watch the full. Yeah. When you go to Provence, that's where you go. Yeah. What are your restrictions? Uh, basically, I'm uh, part of the deal is I get um, I get an exemption from quarantining on return, so long as. I basically do nothing. It was like when going to Paris the other week. Just, just do nothing. Stay in your hotel. Go to the airport. So if you go to Paris now, apparently all the all the bar staff, all the people who are lose, losing their jobs because of these ridiculous laws, um, they are making cocktails on the on the metro in, in protest. Well, Paris has just closed all the bars, bars and restaurants. Yeah, so oh, again, for the most years. nonsense 
is that you're not allowed to have fun. Everything which is not... The only thing you're allowed to do is work. I'm going, I'm going to Peckham for a game of cricket. Yeah, oh, that was awesome. That was cricket. Tell you what, you know, uh, I know everyone mocks you when you say blitz spirit because for some reason it's nationalistic. But of course, lockdowns are nationalistic in their very definition. Uh, but that was, a, that was a real bit of like British spirit, a bit of a cricket being played. That, that could only the... happen here. Yeah. I love um, I absolutely love that. It also shows what what a farce letting everyone out of pubs at 10 o'clock is. When we were at Bath, it was like the Wild West. Yeah, the 10 o'clock idea just seems so ill thought through. Have you seen the pictures of the tube? Which I, I've been on the tube a fair bit over the last couple of months, as, as you will have been as well, Tim. Yeah. It's generally been dead, except for at 10, 10 p.m. Yeah. When you're just funneling everyone totally. un- in, into these totally. tubes underground. Totally. No, uh, linking this back to rugby, a couple of weeks ago, uh, in fact, it might have been last weekend, I can't remember. Uh, but Rob Baxter said, I got it wrong on the whole coronavirus testing, fair enough. Uh, and that's that's the one thing that, you know, they go, Rob Baxter's a fine example, and you see it in rugby, people actually willing to hold their hands up and go, I got it wrong, now I've got a different opinion. Just, I wish our leaders would, would look to rugby a little bit more. It's okay to say, do you know what, I've got that wrong. Time to lock myself up in jail. <laughs> <laughs> or... Uh, let's change that because actually we tried that yeah. and it didn't work so hey yeah. I wonder if anyone's going to change their opinion on transgender rugby mm. meaty topic to get into so quickly I'm going for Exeter <sighs> I want to sit on the fence like GP give me Exeter I can't call it I think I, give I, me Paris I really have to do this I hope I they do really... it I'll be supporting them like mad but for their, for their kit alone they don't deserve to win but I think they will <laughs> if it was a kit me Paris but yeah. In in the art and sort of rugby, give me extra chiefs. Yeah. Has anyone read the transgender stuff? I've read the headlines. I've, I couldn't drag myself to read the forty-five I, page report. I, I unsurprisingly was relying on you to read the uh, forty-five page. I, I, sh- I feel would, but no. I, re- I, re- I couldn't. So and I, I read I... Ross Tucker's very well informed yeah. uh, tweets on on it. However, lower down there will be flexibility shown in, for oh. for individual use. individual teams. Uh, and who their teams have the flexibility at lower than professional level, but at elite level, uh, unfortunately for transgender athletes, they will not have the option to compete. Yeah. Well, trans men, uh, sorry, trans women, I trans, yes, yes, correct. trans men, and so yes, correct. A few things on like this. I mean, uh, a lot of money was wasted. I think studying something which we all knew anyway. I mean, I don't need a study to show me how many moons there are. I don't need to, to, uh, to see a study to see what happens in the right tide. Something I just know, and this would be where we are. First of all, I am very happy that this has been. Sorted. I think it's good, but I'm also very sad athletes that will be excluded from international competition because I nine percent time it should not be a case that a man can transition to a woman and then you know run all over them. But I am sure that there's going to be a situation, a very, very tiny situation. It's completely to me that there is a situation where this can happen. And I think having the flexibility, I mean, by definition, in in this case, they couldn't be, be elite athletes. But uh, The science and the data is that uh, people who are post-puberty and have the benefit of puberty as a male, it's fair and they Unsafe. Uh, you, you've already highlighted the most important thing, which this is a really difficult thing for anyone who's actually going through it. I actually disagree with you. I understand why you're saying this research wasn't necessary, but I think because it is such a contentious issue, to start off very open-minded as World Rugby, select all the different stakeholders' opinions and evidence, and then display their decision with the rationale of evidence behind it is necessary 
so that people at least feel heard, even yeah. if it's not the answer they want. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess there's, there's that angle. Um, I think that it is good that to have the flexibility because if I was to be put in an unsafe situation to play, I'd want the decision to, to rest with me. You know, if in community rugby there was a, for whatever the situation was, hey, do you want this guy to play? It might be dangerous. I think that should be my decision. Should be the women's decision in their own game if they want to do this. There's no shame in saying no, but there should be some flexibility because I can legitimately see a time where, you know, a, a trans woman could play and it be of not danger. It, it, and it's it, for them to decide. It could mean, yeah, I agree. Flexibility is okay. But it could potentially be hypothetically difficult situations down the line if you had a, a six foot five. Uh, and a and a five foot five, would it be unfair if you said yes to one and no to another? Look, if if Shirley Grucock shows up or uh, Sharon Otoji, <laughs> the answer is no. Right, <laughs> but there is going to be a a situation where you know it, it just it is just able to happen, and I think if it is able to happen, it should happen. But for the most, for the majority of cases, it shouldn't. And the flexibility is key because having an edict from up top or whatnot, and you know, people say, well, what, what about the. Uh, uh, Elite game, why is there no flexibility there? Well, because by definition, yeah. the individual's not going to be good enough to play a level, a elite level rugby. It's kind of, you know, a given. Yeah, and and just on some of the science, because Tim, I'm, I'm very much with you in that um, it is good for, for um, everyone's um, peace of mind and understanding of the logic behind this that World Rugby has. Show they're working. Out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's been, I mean, Ross Tucker, who um, we spoke about before on this has done a huge amount of work and um while there is a 45 page report that if you want to go and read it you can do there are also some simple faqs and um some uh well put together by rotoka showing some of the logic and one of them is so the previous assumption that was made by not just world rugby but um the olympic committee um ioc and others was that um having men once a, a man has transitioned to a woman, um, a suppression in testosterone will be sufficient to reduce the performance again. Twelve, 12 performance months performance gain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we reduced um, th- that woman's uh, testosterone to that of um, the normal female range, and the science that is shown um, as part of this on that thinking, it just highlights that as totally, totally incorrect. The advantages. Yeah, I mean- um, on and the, the, I've got them in front but of me. The bone list here. density, muscle mass, the, sho- yeah, the, sh- the width bo- of the shoulders, the levers, the total body power mass, generation, lean yeah. mass, muscle volume, strength, power, running speed. The reduction of the performance is nowhere near as great as the initial advantage in performance. And, and this is taking. Um, Isn't it something that like you still retain eighty percent of the advantage? Uh, it, it ranges on those different ones, yeah. but yeah, if you if you take say the first one of this list, or let's, let's take the second one actually because that's quite an important one. Uh, lean mass um, men on average enjoy a forty five percent advantage over women because um, they are both bigger and generally leaner. And there is from this twelve uh, month uh, drop in testosterone uh, to normal female range, there is a four to five percent drop compared to that 45% advantage. Yeah. So you're still retaining yet 90%, 80 90% of that initial advantage. Yeah. I mean, with respect, I could have told you that. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a really difficult it, yeah, it's talking good. point. And just for once, 
I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's for anyone that, you know, for the people that are put into the position of having to make this decision about someone. And if someone really loves rugby, that's all we care about because we yeah, love rugby. Yeah. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. And it's um, so, you know, it's on an individual level, every bit of compassion uh, and hope that you can take part in, in rugby as much as possible. But yeah. for once, it's nice to be able to talk about rugby taking a leadership position and having real clarity and showing the way. Because in so many elements of rugby, the leadership is just a mess. And, yeah. and other things that World Rugby do as well. Yeah. And from a PRL For a sport that is so good at developing leadership qualities, it's incredible how bad the leadership is. <laughs> yeah, it oh. really is. So this, this is something that I think... Astounding, World Rugby, actually. World Rugby has done very, very there's, well. There's clarity, this. there's nuance, it's been communicated well, it's been conducted in a very sensitive way. It won't be the decision that Everyone. Will know what I got? This is this is the most crazy argument. I mean, this just blows my mind. All of you're absolutely spot on. Just just humour me for one second here, which blows my mind is that not allowing trans women to play rugby is sexist because it denies women who play at elite level the opportunity to have their Jonah Lomu moment rising up to the greatest challenge. I not comprehend how monumentally stupid you would need to be <laughs> to make that argument. You would need to make a similar argument that it's unfair. Right, yeah, ball in, just throw a ball in there. Tight ball. T- ball. Yeah, the, that is not argument here. Yeah, and which, which, which is not a new one. In the Roscoe times, a felt argument yeah. that you don't penalise Michael Phelps because he's got longer levers, longer arms and bigger hands and bigger feet. That That is not a... Um, We've exported really advantage on does it no need to freestyle final swimming freestyle for arms or short arms. It is, it, but it is segregated into men versus women because of the aforementioned benefits of mass yeah, size, the, muscle, power. The, the only argument I am sympathetic to at all is the social argument, like the discrimination argument that they should be allowed to play because. They should be allowed to play. Uh, I mean, that is the only argument: is they should be allowed to play because they should be yeah. allowed to play. Nothing and else sways me. Just on a personal level, their personal plight persuades me far more than it's sexist or yeah. something, something uh, like there's big men and small men, which is just ludicrous. And I, I will, and you two have both mentioned it very well, but I will just repeat the point that, like, for any individuals who, any um, individuals who. Are, are going to be affected by this. This is preventing them from playing the form of rugby that they want. I realise with them yeah, because that that, yeah. that is a horrible position to be in. I just I hope that they can see that this is done with the best intentions and done from uh, both, as you said before, Tim, both a position of science but also a position of of safety and nuance. And it would be horrible to be in that position. And I hope there are very few. And I hope anyone who is in that position can still. Uh, enjoy the game that we all love, mm. and because there are other ways. Like I, I've not played um, competitive rugby for a number of years. Pathetic. Um but I'm still very much involved in the game, and I hope everyone can can still find their place in the game because that is the most important thing to to all of us. Yeah. I think. Amen. Beautiful sentiment to end a, a long but great podcast. Thanks again to JP Doyle. Nice one, JB. Nice one, Tim. Nice one, Phil. Thank you, Tim. Uh, he's at Jay Beardmore on Twitter. I'm at Cocker. Uh, we're at Rugby Podcast. And next week, we'll try and sort out streaming this uh, thing yeah. on Facebook, YouTube, and the like. And also, watch out on my social media channels because I am trying desperately to get an article published and nobody will publish it. <laughs> no one's biting. No one no one will publish this damn thing. But hopefully, I'll get it published at some point next week. No one's had a little nibble. You're not tempted to become a blogger? 
Yeah, go on. Rugby <laughs> V. Rugby vlogger. No, thank you. Watch this space. Right, nice one. Enjoy, right. the, enjoy the Champions Cup final, and uh, we'll catch you soon.